Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the stacks. Uh, this is Jay. And I'm Sherna. Alternatively, Shop Smart, Shop Shanna Mart. Sherna is definitely the best in a while, I, I must say. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, several of the last ones have been lengthy quotes from uh, uh, Evil Dead movies that just didn't fit. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd say it's an improvement. Uh, please, go ahead. It, yeah, no, it it works, but it's also kind of comparing myself to Cher, which doesn't work. We're, we don't have a lot in common. Cher, uh, very, very hot in this movie. <laughs> Uh, the, yeah, actually, I, I the only time I've ever thought so. Well, like this was, I, I guess we should say our movie this week or our first movie this week is the classic uh, romantic comedy Moonstruck, directed by Norman Jewison from 1987. I saw this movie uh, the first time I saw it when I was pretty young. Uh, I saw it on TV with my parents, and it's one that like I saw on TV a bunch of times as a kid. So it is my primary vision of Cher, like other than like I knew her music. Right, right. Yeah, uh, it does feel like a show up on TV all the time kind of movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was so huge. Like, it, it was a gigantic hit. Yeah, um, the kind of thing I would have skipped at that in that era, but... Fair enough. Uh, I, I was always into this stuff. Like, I, I was a, a movie kid. I watched lots and lots of movies on TV. And this was a big one. And, you know, I, I watched the Oscars and stuff. I mean, I probably was too young that year. I think I was four or five. <laughs> but uh, this was nominated for six Oscars, and it won three of them. Oh, cool. uh, so Olympia Dukakis as Rose, the mother. Was, mm, uh, she was good. She was so good. good. So she won Best Supporting Actress, and Cher won Best Actress. Oh, cool. Right on. And, of course, John Patrick Shanley, who wrote the script and, you know, went on to write and direct Joe versus the Volcano. Uh, he uh, won for Best Screenplay. Oh, nice. Nice. And uh, Vincent Gardenia, Cosmo, the, the dad, was also nominated. And it was nominated for Best Director and Best Picture. No, oh, Best Picture? Really? Cool. Yeah, this was huge. Uh, Holy. I, it lost to The Last Emperor. Uh, and I don't like, know that one. Uh, pretty good. Bernardo Bertolucci about the last emperor, uh, you know, in, in exile uh, of China, like oh. in, in during like the 30s and stuff. Like, oh, oh OK. Very interesting, interesting, like very beautiful movie, like incredible cinematography. Uh, one I have not watched in a while. Uh, in, in some of the special features, Norman Jewison is very salty about it beating uh, Moonstruck, and I think maybe it's John Patrick Shanley who is as well. But they, they feel that you know it lost because it's a comedy, and comedies are ghettoized. And it was obviously a much more popular movie, and lots more people went and saw it, so it's more valid. And like I feel like this is getting into a bad argument, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't not that care I disagree. so much about the Oscars. Right, and not that I disagree that comedies are kind of ghettoized critically. Oh, they sure are. Um, but so is animation. 
True, true. Uh, but, you know, this movie was tremendously successful, and it's one of the key movies that sort of set off the rom-com boom of the 90s, which mostly is stuff I hate. <laughs> like, I'm not into most of those movies. Like, there there are good yeah. ones. Yeah, this, I don't know, kind of feels like like Nick Cage is doing a satire of a genre that doesn't quite exist yet, I guess. If if this came before all those rom coms, like yeah, it's it's just like being a ridiculous uh, ham of a hot boyfriend He's so or love hot, interest though. rather. Uh, I, I get it, but he doesn't do it for me. <laughs> but I get it. I totally get it. Uh, so uh, one thing, you know, we we've talked or we we did Joe vs. the volcano a while back. The moon, obviously, a very big motif in John Patrick uh-huh. Shanley's work. Yep. Um, uh, spoiler alert: the dad is able to control it with his mind. Uh, that, no. That's a, uh, well, maybe that's a theory given. <laughs> that is a theory that is given. Um, although when we see it, that time it's probably not him. No, and this feels like like it, it is the golden age of the romantic comedy, like it, sort of the resurgence, because you know it. it it's it's one of these genres that has been around since the dawn of film, but uh, this feels like sort of that like what what they became. But this is so much more writerly. Like it, it's clearly written by a playwright. Mm, yes. <laughs> like everything matters. Yeah. Uh, there's so much detail in all of the characters. It's not quirky for quirk's sake which a lot of them kind of tend to ultimately become yeah um i'm not yeah I can, okay um i i'm not i'm just sorry i'm not quite sure what you mean like quirky but for quirky sake just for the sake of quirk like you, you get the manic pixie dream girl uh oh yeah cliche okay. and shit like that i mean like well, and, and uh manic... especially no, I don't think so. Uh, the the no. Christmas mm-hmm. like the the big Christmas rom com thing because Christmas movies and rom coms have kind of synthesized into a single genre since then. But like, oh yes, they'll always be set in some Christmas town, and you know they'll have some whimsical factory that they work at, and it's uh, <laughs> that's always kind of how these are built now. But it's just like they're built to spec, and it's like insert quirk here. This kind of just all of okay, the okay. details kind of feel like they matter and they're all contributing in some way. Actually, that is something I noticed um, when because when I was watching it, I messaged in the chat like, hey, we're doing the Joe versus the volcano. Uh, just spend a lot of time with side characters. We're never going to see again. And it turns out, no, these are actually important characters. They all they're just they're all just like that. And they're just, just set in in motion, so that they're ready when you see them again. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and totally. so uh, we we have the opening credits with just a big beautiful moon, uh, a lot of New York skyline stuff, uh, just gorgeous photography. Mm-hmm. And we we see the Metropolitan Opera setting up for La Boheme, which is really important in the movie. Yeah, it's. Um... Almost like it feels like it's the climax of the movie yeah. or or like one of the main big things. It's the convergence point. It's where all yeah. of the storylines kind of 
get into a knot oh, yeah, and then are that's immediately where resolved. Well, yeah, that's where everybody kind of runs into each other and it starts going from there. Right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the we were introduced to Cher, who is glammed down <laughs> – I, I guess to start with, but she's still yeah. gorgeous. She's still Cher. Yeah, you know what? Like, one of the big things is, uh, like, everybody has the important uh, the important character development haircut. Hers is she gets rid of the gray hair and is like, gray hair isn't ugly, guys. It's just It's just another color. Yeah. But you know what? But at the same time, she does make herself look super hot at the end yeah i mean she goes to a place literally called cinderella salon and comes out share oh my god i didn't even catch that like, <laughs> yeah okay okay and then share wow. as superstar because like at this point in time she was absolutely a superstar i mean she, oh yeah she was the one who demanded Nicolas Cage for the role. Like they didn't want really? him. And she's like, no, he is the guy. He's the one where the chemistry is. Uh, and she, she threatened to quit if they didn't hire him. Holy shit. He's I, he was absolutely perfect for the role. And I agree. The chemistry is absolutely there, which shocked me. Oh yeah. Tremendous. Um, <laughs> but I absolutely understand why an executive uh, wouldn't want him for this role. Well, he they, was they're so wrong. fresh. Yeah. He, oh, like yeah, this, true. He wasn't Nicolas Cage the meme yet. This came out, or this was being made uh, during the, like, when Raising Arizona came out. Like, it wasn't out yet. Right. So, yeah, 1987, was it? 87 is when this came out, yeah. And like you know, he he just wasn't known. He he had been in a couple things, but this was you know th this is kind of the movie that made him in a way. I yeah, like this I mean is this very... and Raising Arizona, another one that I saw on TV constantly as a kid. Yeah, th this is a very it's a very Nick Cage performance, and um, and yeah, if if you wanted to introduce somebody to Nick Cage, this would. Prob this would be one of the first films that you'd probably want to show them. It's got some of that classic energy, uh, but we we don't meet him for a bit. We we start Not with for Cher. half an hour. I actually checked. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, she's a bookkeeper. Uh, we start with her in a funeral home. I really like the uh, Norman Jewison credit uh, directed by Norman Jewison opening credit, like the last credit. Uh, is on a corpse in <laughs> a coffin. This movie yeah. is has a lot of stuff about death. He's kind of concerned yeah. with it. Yeah, that's that's kind of like the motivating factor for at least a few of the characters. Is yeah. is arguably everybody. Uh, yeah, well, the fear yeah. of death is sort of a driving force that's identified multiple times. Oh yeah, even the ones I guess yeah, even the ones who don't outright state it. Right. So uh, we have the opening at the Gran Ticino restaurant, which is a real place. Okay. Uh, and this was Cher or Loretta out to dinner with Johnny Camareri, played by the great Danny Aiello. 
So he was, you were saying he was Sal in Do the Right Thing. Right. A couple of years uh, later. Yep. Very, also, as you were saying, a very different character. This guy, he's so lame, but you kind of love him anyway. He's very lovable, but like he's such a mama's boy. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, I'm, I'm glad he, I'm glad he didn't uh, turn out to be a Harge. Yeah, he's very sweet. Uh, and yeah. everyone in this movie is very sweet. And yeah, we don't have villains here. No, well, there, like there are people who do bad things, but we see and we kind of actively discuss the reasons why they do it and, and sort of the flaws in their character that cause them to do it. Uh, and just like it, it's very warm hearted towards all of its characters. Uh-huh. So like uh, it, it starts with him ordering a meal and she just rejects the entire meal like he's ordering for both and she's like no 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 because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like he, he's ordering fish and he's going on a flight and it's like you'll be green and sweating and your hands will be shaking when you're flying into palermo so she orders a whole different dinner instead <laughs> yeah and he's just like oh yeah that's right Good Good idea. you're always watching out for me yeah uh, and and like it, she's a very mothering presence for him, and I think that's what he sees in her. I think so. Um, he, yeah, he's all about, he's definitely all about maternal figures in his oh, life. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and we're introduced to another side character, uh, the great John Mahoney, probably best known as Fraser's dad. Oh. Um, you know, uh, yeah, playing, okay. playing Perry, uh, an NYU communications prof who is based on a guy that John Patrick Shanley knew. I didn't realize that was him. Oh, oh yeah. Well, he's so much younger. Yeah, I guess so. Um, oh, man. I got to watch some Frasier again. It's It's been a while. Very good show. Really Very great good show. show. Uh, but his thing is he's always getting water thrown in his face by much younger <laughs> women. <laughs> yeah, like like the idea is like he's always trying to date them or whatever and just goes and says some completely dumbass thing and just like, ruins he, it and then we we never hear what it is he says but ultimately like they're done with him as being this old professor guy mm-hmm. uh and we we also see the waiters uh i can't remember both their names one of them's bobo yeah bobo uh is the older guy yeah and um I, yeah i don't know the other guy's name either right but they're they're like they know about aiello planning to propose like they've got this system uh where they're going to bring over the the dessert cart but like it's very unplanned for how he's told other people that it's planned it's like he's told them just so he'd have to go through with it even though he has no you other know, thing set up Definitely. You know, that's the feeling I get now. Uh, before before you mentioned that in the chat, I was thinking like he got he drank too much wine and said something he didn't mean. And now we can't get out of it. But no, I think it's more. Yes, he told people so he would force himself to do it. Yeah. And w- what I like about all of this, the and it being warm, it's like the, it is the community. Like it really feels like it's exploring a living community and just everybody's family there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, even like 
the end end scene, we have everybody all together in this one room to kind of, well, they're going yeah, to hash everything to out. To sort things out, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and and it's, just, it's very Italian, you know, everybody uh, gathered around a table for food and figuring things out. Uh, that, that's that's something you get in a lot of Italian movies. Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, but yeah, like like the whole extended. In this case, it ends up being the whole extended family and cast here. So yeah, yeah like like it is one great big huge community. Even even when some people don't necessarily do great things to each other. Right. Sometimes. It, hey, everybody's still like they're still welcome. still family. Yeah. I mean, family is everything. Uh, again, this this is the the emotions that most of the Fast and the Furious movies are based on. Once uh, Vin Diesel kind of takes over. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> family. Uh, oh, I guess that's the meme. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I I love Aello here. He's so awkward and anxious. <laughs> oh yeah. So. Um, basically, out of the blue, in the middle of the conversation, he's like, "Why don't you marry me?" No, or something I, I, like. Or I, I have it. For, well, first, I I love this bit where he's trying to smooth his hair, and then he just starts manically itching it like oh, he's insane. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And he picks right after that moment. Right, because that's when the the dessert cart comes by. Because I guess he saw it coming, so he was getting nervous. But like. <laughs> He's like, have some dessert. And he's like, no, thanks. And like, not without skipping a beat and in exactly the same tone, will you marry me? And then like, <laughs> there's a pause. She, she does not change expression. And it's like, Bobo, take the card away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> and she's like, well, you're not going to get down on one knee. Yeah. And she's really skeptical right away because like i don't know it's bad luck uh and the stuff with her previous marriage not being a formal enough wedding and ceremony and just all of it being kind of matter of fact so yeah he needs to kneel (laughs) yeah but (laughs) i i really like what i I really like perry uh you know john mahoney's character uh looking like is that man praying (laughs) (laughs) everybody looks so concerned because they can't figure out what he's doing because he's so awkward about it yeah yeah he he literally says i don't want to get my suit dirty and bobo's (laughs) like he can't get his suit dirty (laughs) it's like wow dude and and this is a great bit of physical comedy here just the way so good the way he kneels down so oh man and like the, the expressions on his face as he does it it's it's amazing it's so labored like he just it, he has to un unfold himself to get up and uh and just like just you you see him figuring out the logistics of getting down to his knees the whole time like he's 80 years old instead of 30 <laughs> and he's looking around like oh my god everyone's looking at me oh it's so good <laughs> like it's it's a hell of a performance like every performance in this movie is very strong yeah yeah i agree um 
this one doesn't have the problem that I had with Joe versus Volcano, where like somewhere a, a little a chunk fluctuating. of it, yeah, 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 and a chunk of it is just nothing kind of dragged. Forward. Yeah, there, there's but, that yeah, whole this section where that. yeah, the, that entire section where nothing moves, where, yeah. where just nothing is taking place. Uh, so he also doesn't have a ring. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and like the the other restaurant patrons are muttering amongst themselves, like, "Oh my god!" Uh, like <laughs> at the door, the the host is like not checking them in; is just like, "Hold on, hold on," and they're watching. <laughs> and the guy across the table is like, "Buddy, I would have sprung for the ring." <laughs> <laughs> so she's like, "Give me your pinky ring." It's like, "I like this ring." Like, just... It's a symbol. Just give me the the pinky. So he gives her the pinky ring, and they're driving to the airport, and she wants to set a date. And he's so the the background is he's supposed to be going to see his mother in Sicily because she's on her deathbed, uh, quote unquote. <laughs> quote unquote. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. We'll we'll get to that. Right. And he doesn't know how long he'll be, uh, but she argues him down to it's like, OK, one month from today, which is kind of fun that they set this pretty hard, arbitrary date that seems like pretty close. But then they just like throw that out the window and it's like, no, he just comes back very quickly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, then, and she says to him, like, don't worry about anything. I'll take care of all the planning. I'll do it all. You just have to show up. And he's like, OK. And then he looks away and he's got this look on his face like, I don't yeah. know if I could do this one simple thing. He's like biting his that fist. I've, <laughs> that I put into motion. Yeah, th- this was his idea. <laughs> uh, this this poor, poor man did not know what he was doing. He clearly did not. So they, they, at the airport, he he wants her to contact his estranged brother, Ronnie, who uh, will turn out to be Nicolas Cage. I don't really feel like these two guys are related. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get that vibe at all. Uh, maybe half brother, adoptive brother. Who knows? Um, found family brother. I don't know. Uh, and. So she sends him off. I can't remember. To, there, there's another little bit of business here about something that he's uh, like. She mothers him some more before he's sent off. I can't remember exactly. Oh shoot. Um. But either way. Yeah, I don't know. She, she sets him on the plane, and she speaks to this old lady who says she's cursed the plane because her sister's on it, who stole her man fifty years ago. <laughs> She's cursed the plane to explode, and here's where I started getting Joe versus the volcano vibes because this is this is a one-off performance. This is just great. Yeah, this lady, uh, and like she has a whole story attached to it. How like she stole the guy just for the for the for the thrill of stealing him from her, and that she never even loved him. <laughs> this yeah. whole huge like a mini drama that we're led into for a moment and share like it's just like i don't believe in curses but then she kind of like pauses and like mm. <laughs> <laughs> and the lady's just like and eh, neither do i yeah neither do i <laughs> this this is the closest thing we get to like 
an antagonist character. It's great. Yeah, and, and even she's like, yeah, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> like, 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 people don't stay angry for long. I, I kind of love it. Yeah, like, again, it's so I mean, warm. they do with the backstory, but as soon as right. they're on screen, they don't stay angry for very long. Yeah. Uh, so Cher goes to, or Loretta goes to Sweetheart Wines and Liquors, which is just an incredibly beautiful storefront. Like the the neon tubing and the the red light for the, like sweetheart and the heart. I thought it was a Valentine's Day store at first right. until I realized what it actually was and like holy shit, looks um, beautiful. Yeah, there, there's the the proprietor and his wife behind the desk, uh, and she she's accusing him of being a wolf, which which is an important theme. You know, wolves oh yes, moons, yes, wolves, moons. Um, I, I half expected Nick Cage to turn into a werewolf. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it, it would have been fine. That it would have totally fit. Yep. But like, you know, she has this conversation. And it's like, you're a wolf. I see a wolf in you every day. And I, it's like you've never seen a wolf in your life. I see wolves in people every day. Because like he he you know he's looking at women too much like because he yeah. runs a store, uh, and he he immediately diffuses the situation like you know what I see in you, the girl I married. <laughs> <laughs> They're having like this whole conversation in the background while Cher's picking out and buying her wine. Yeah, getting like some celebratory champagne to share with uh, Cosmo and Rose. Uh, and th- we we get her go to her uh, incredible family home. Oh man, this! <laughs> I wish normal people could afford places like this still. Well, imagine in New York, because they are oh, middle my class. Oh goodness, yeah, they're just. I mean, granted, there's like six of them, five or six of them living there. Three generations. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's the thing. They've been there's, there forever. There's some, yeah, yeah. They've been there forever, and they're most of them work. Yeah, uh, Cosmo's a plumber, and and we'll see him working later <laughs> on. He's he's a very very good at his uh, job, um, I guess. I mean, he, he seems to be really good he's at successful. convincing men. Yeah, yeah. He's successful at his job. We'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we meet him here because, uh, you know, he's he's up. He's like, ah, I can't sleep anymore. Uh, and she talks to him about the marriage proposal, and he is not supportive. <laughs> he does not like Johnny. Johnny's a big baby. Yeah. <laughs> and also, he does not want to pay for the wedding. He's he doesn't really want to pay. F- he d- yeah, he's like, I don't have money. I don't want to pay for the wedding. I don't like Johnny. Yeah, and she's arguing about the bad luck thing, but he's also arguing bad luck in different ways. And it's like, well, wow, the, you know, the pinky ring. Uh, and he's like, well, that's only temporary. It's like, everything is temporary. That don't excuse nothing. That's actually kind of a good line. I, I, like, it a is. Good, like, a good, kind of a good way to think of things in a way, I guess. Totally. Well, like, I think that you can pick out almost any line from this movie and it's good. Like, it's just mm-hmm. really well written. Yeah, yeah, really. 
but you know she she's arguing about like if you don't give me this you are cursing the wedding because you know it's i i couldn't have a proper wedding before and that's why it went bad yeah and and uh yeah his argument was that he won't he won't support the wedding because it's going to go bad and hers is it went bad because he didn't support the wedding right exactly so <laughs> just they've got the cause and effect they just switched it around on each other right and they they go to tell her mom uh, olympia dukakis as rose uh, who's just super great oh she's really good in this she's she's a really compelling character she's like do you love him loretta she said no i'm good <laughs> <laughs> and she's like yeah yeah it's fine i i support this whatever uh it, it seems like you've made a rational decision here <laughs> yeah. there's, there's not much else to it and the dad's like i don't like him and she's like you're not marrying him and uh, you know he goes to the other room because he's not willing to pay for it, and he he doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and and she's like, he thinks if he holds on to his money, he'll never die, which is a, a theme will, which will recur quite a bit. And he's like playing some romantic record and not paying attention to her and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he'll and then he'll come up here, lie down, go to sleep, and not touch me all night. Right. Uh, Those are also, all such good lines. <laughs> they are all great. I I really love her grandpa too. Mm, uh, he's so good. Uh, Fyodor Shalyapin. I I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, and his uh, five good dogs for six. Per, yeah, perpetually. I think it's five. Just always has these five dogs on just like a a web of leashes around him. Yeah, I thought he was a dog walker for the SPCA or something, but like, no, those are his. Yeah, Th- those are his roommates. They're uh, his roommates. He he goes to meet with all his cronies at the park the next morning and to tell them that he will make Cosmo pay for the wedding, but he's not ready to broach the subject with him yet. He needs to think on it a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh. And meanwhile, Loretta and Rose have uh, a very tasty-looking breakfast. Oh, um... There's some peppers and eggs and the, yeah. you know, the... I don't know what oh, you call it. Uh, the the toast egg thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was... Uh, there I is a name was, for that. I can't um, remember what it's called. Egg, eggs in the middle or something? something whatever, like whatever it is, I saw that, because I, I, like, used to have that all the time as a kid, and then just forgot it existed and i was like hmm. oh my god that's right that is a thing and you can Looks just good. make that and it's easy to do yeah and and they're having a, a discussion about whether she and johnny will move into the house and it's like oh well then we're gonna sell it uh because uh, they're not gonna move in it's like dad doesn't like johnny <laughs> yeah yeah it's like i'm not moving them in if they're just gonna not like each other yeah, and like, why would you sell this place? Good God, it's uh, incredible location. Oh yeah, they they own it. That's right. They I was like, it. I'm just thinking. Well, I can see if you if people are moving out, and you know, you have to take on more share of the rent. They because you know, I'm I'm thinking in 2022 terms. Yeah, no, that, and that's like 
that's sort of the stunning thing about the place and like when uh mahoney sees it later he's also like you own this place yeah exactly (laughs) are you incredibly rich (laughs) but they're they're just entrenched and you know that's that community thing that they've just been here for generations Mm -hmm. uh and then johnny calls from palermo and (laughs) we see the mom (laughs) Quote unquote on her deathbed. <laughs> yeah, like how long you gonna be? She's very impatient for death. <laughs> uh, and you know he's he's worked up emotionally. He's like, I'm at my mother's deathbed, and she's like, Oh yeah, how's the flight? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think she knows it's all a yeah. Like, it seems like this is maybe a cycle they've been through a few times before. Come like not the marriage me, thing. I'm on my deathbed. Yeah. Uh but yeah, she uh she does not look like someone who is uh at the death store. Well, she kind of <laughs> does though cuz she looks really old. Yeah. But at the same time she doesn't act like it. She's no. got lots of energy. And and Loretta is is mothering Johnny on the phone. While he's, you know, waiting here, it's, it's the, they do all the mothering, but he, he's like, okay, you gotta call my brother. So she calls the bakery. <laughs> uh, Hammerary bakery. And this is great because we don't see Nick Cage's face at first. <laughs> yeah, just back to the camera the first couple times we see him and just seething animal energy, just like so much energy and just like from behind like not moving just he knows how to pose mm-hmm. <laughs> and like oh and what what does he say to her something like what is done cannot be forgiven i have no life my brother johnny took it from me yeah that's uh, right there's a lot of them. He he has a bunch <laughs> of different ones. So like, he won't talk to her uh, on yeah. the phone because he's just too seething with sex, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she has to come to him physically. Yeah. Uh, and it, she, he's in the basement of the bakery with just like these oh. hot ovens. He's sweating. He is uh, ridiculously hot. <laughs> and he's. An emotional wreck. Like he's he's so explosive. I I love this bit where like he he's offended by her, uh, not immediately falling in line with his a uh, story. He's like, bring me the big <laughs> knife. I'm gonna cut my throat. <laughs> <laughs> I won't bring you the big knife. <laughs> Chrissy, uh, his his employee, who is just obviously in love with him. Well, she even says it at the end. It's yeah. like, I'm in love with him, but he can't ever know. And it's like, then it's like this whole thing. Bring me the knife. It's like, I tell you, I won't do it. <laughs> it's like, again, it much like uh, the, the Johnny and the, the mother thing. It feels like this is a, a an argument they have had in the past. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just bring me the knife. <laughs> just, you know, if someone comes in with an order that's too big and wants it in a hurry, it's like, bring me the big knife. I'm going to cut my throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you want me to sweat and bleed for their order? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. And he, he reveals his wooden hand. <laughs> oh, yeah. He took... I have no hand and no pride. And Johnny has a hand and Johnny has a pride. So it was caught in a bread slicer uh, because he was distracted. But it not it it doesn't really seem to have anything to do with Johnny. <laughs> he was distracted because he was looking at Johnny while he was talking. And he even prefaces the the story with things happen and it's not anyone's fault yeah and not only that i don't know if johnny was even present at the time because what he says is that johnny ordered this order of bread and he was making it i think it might have just been him making this order of bread for johnny and this accident happened so he's blamed him for it that's terrible (laughs) i mean um it they, fits though does it not it absolutely <laughs> fits i mean it was what i thought before was terrible <laughs> so uh yeah um but so ultimately he was engaged at the time and his fiance left him because he was maimed uh oh. because because of the hand supposedly this is his interpretation of it and it may it be might true be because he's psychotically aggressive yeah, or that he just has uh, a completely wild energy. Or, you know, uh, he, he could be accurate about it because, you know, he does make it very clear that Johnny had nothing to do with it, but he blames him anyways. <laughs> like, he's he is completely willing to own up to it because Cher is like, well, it doesn't sound like it's Johnny's fault. He's like, I don't care. I have <laughs> yeah. no freaking yeah. monument to justice. <laughs> But he, well, no, he doesn't tone it down after this because they they have a scene later on in his apartment. Well, it's pretty much right after this. Like, we just have a brief interstitial where we catch up with Cosmo selling plumbing, but also meeting with his illicit mistress, uh, Mona. Ah, yes, yes. And, like, telling her about how good he is at selling plumbing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't know if it's a scam or not, but he, like, really upsells these $10,000 copper pipes. Right. And the, the man is into it, but the wife is not. And then, like, it cuts to him telling his mistress about it. He's like, I talked the man into it. The wife was not sold. But <laughs> and she seems yeah. very impressed with him, which I think mm. is what the allure is for him that she's very impressed by him and rose is clearly not impressed by him oh yeah she wouldn't fall for that crap right and that's what he's looking for here and Mm -hmm. it it sort of seems like what we get from mahoney later uh but so ronnie and loretta go up to his place he lives in a loft apartment above the bakery of course (laughs) that just seems right yeah, and he plays La Boheme for her, and and we have like another shot of just like him very still from the back, putting the record on, just like again seething this unbelievable energy, even though he's just like standing still with his back to the camera. It's like there's it's something about this amazing. performance, you know? Yeah, he was. 
Holy shit, this is this, this might be one of the overall better Nicolas Cage performances. It's it's definitely one of the great ones. It's it's one of the more unique ones, I'll say. Mm-hmm. So she cooks him a steak. He's like, I don't want it. He's like, and like, well, uh, I'm making it and you're going to eat it. He's like, okay, well, I like it well done. He's like, you're going to eat it bloody. It's better for your like circulation or something. Yeah, like, right. right fine. So, she's, <laughs> so she's already doing the thing she does. But he's he he pushes back a bit more, you know. He he's yeah. willing to fall in line as much as he needs to, but he has more of an energy to push back with than Johnny does. Yeah, yeah. And they they have this conversation where they're comparing their love lives, and they're both kind of dire. Uh, oh. That it's like uh, since the hand thing, uh, which was five years ago, he has not seen anyone. And he's like, well, that's terrible. And for her, uh, since uh, her husband was hit by a bus seven years ago, the only person she's seen is Johnny. And there, he's also like, well, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, each one thinks the other is pathetic, but doesn't like to doesn't self reflect here. Right. Exactly. They're they're both like. They they both see each other's love lives as disastrous, even though they're both in kind of weirdly similar circumstances. Mm-hmm. And they have whiskey, which is also Loretta's idea. It's like, all right, let's have some whiskey. It's like, oh, I don't want to. We're gonna have some whiskey. <laughs> yeah. And and she calls him a wolf. So th- this is where she brings the clerk's idea to him. You know, uh, he's a wolf and he chewed off his own paw to get out of the trap of marriage. Oh, yeah, right. And and it scares him that like the idea is that it scares him to think about what he might be willing to do to get out of his next marriage or next thing if it doesn't go well. Right. And he just overturns the table and starts kissing her and just like one incredible motion. Yeah, yeah. Like here, I thought it's like, oh shit, he's gonna get violent and yeah, starts well, kissing, and, and yeah. like she stops and she like pushes him away for a second. She's like, wait a minute, and then she starts kissing him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Because at first I was like, oh no, this isn't re- this is real. Oh no, actually, it's consensual. Yeah, no, it's hot. Okay, it's okay. just passion. He's hot blooded. And then she's like, uh, he's like, I'm going to take you to bed. It's like, what? Okay, I don't care. Take me to bed. Yeah, he he's carrying her to the bed. And he's like, where are we going? He's like, I'm carrying you to the bed. And he's like, okay, well, fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and afterwards, he says, I was dead. And she says, me too. Uh-huh. Uh, and we cut to the family dinner at the Castorini house and are introduced to uh, Rose's brother, Raymond, uh, Ro- Raymond uh, Capamaggi, Capamaggi, uh, and his wife, Rita. I love Raymond. Raymond is so oh, lovable. He's such a sweetie. <laughs> he's, he's such a sweetheart. This is him telling the story of Cosmo's moon. Mm-hmm. So, please. So, so I, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but um, when I think it's like when Cosmo and Rita or 
not Rita. Cosmo and Rose. Rose, yeah. We're first dating or like first about starting to see each other. Uh, one night, um, oh gosh, what was his name? Sees a big Raymond. bright Raymond sees a big giant bright super full moon in the sky, and like you know how sometimes the moon is like three times as big as how it normally is. It's one of those kind of deals, but you know, exaggerated because mm-hmm. it's a movie and it's a fantasy kind of romantic fantasy. Yeah. And he looks down and sees that uh, Cosmo is like standing outside Rose's house, uh, like looking in the window mm-hmm. or something like that. And he comes to the conclusion that Cosmo brought the moon. Yeah, because he's still kind of half asleep and he just has this weird sort of uh, romantic, paranoid fantasy. And I was yeah. like, oh, well, he brought the moon here to look in the house like a flashlight. And oh, yeah, that's right. He, he describes it like a flashlight. Yeah, and he's like, ah, oh, he came here to wake me up. What a jerk. Uh, and then that night, they have Cosmo's moon again. Yeah. Uh, but first, we have a bit with Cosmo not being into this story. He's like, I don't want to yeah, talk he's like, about it. He's like, this didn't happen. I wasn't there. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and Rose sees that something is up with him. This is where she she clues in that he is having an affair. Yep. Uh, and then we just have this really beautiful sequence of, you know, Cosmo's moon returns and everyone experiences the moon, like every character in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, here's here's where I expected Nick Cage to turn into a werewolf, and it would have worked with it. Weirdly, would have worked with the tone of the movie. Yeah, uh, but like it's it's a very beautiful lyrical sequence, you know. Uh, it's it's kind of like the one you get in Joe vs. the Volcano when they're on the suitcases. Oh, you know, it's it's a lot like that. Yes. And we, we've seen a couple sequences like this before where it's just like everybody in the movie kind of moon gazing and mm-hmm. kind of having like this reflective period. I think um, a Tokyo oh, Fist. At least one other. One That's the one. Tokyo Fist. Uh, I really like the grandpa out with the dogs howling at the moon. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he's howling along with the dogs. He like goes down to somewhere uh, uh, on the waterfront and you get like this big. Uh, New York skyline in the background with the moon. This looks incredible. Oh man. I just I love the look of like the classic nighttime New York skyline from it's gorgeous. From that era. Even Absolutely. Regardless of my opinions on like gentrification and all that, like you gotta love the the aesthetic look of it. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Uh so Loretta wakes up the next morning in a panic. Oh yeah, because she's like, oh my god, I did this thing. I like, slept I've, with Nick Cage. I, I've agreed to be married to this guy's brother. This is this can't work. This is a big problem. And she's like changing in the closet because she's suddenly uh, awkward about it. Yep. <laughs> and and Ronnie or he he very casually is like, you ruined my life. He's like, I was ruined <laughs> when I got here. You ruined my life. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It was ruined when I got here. <laughs> Another Very one of those line. great lines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, to be fair, I wouldn't say that she ruined his life at all here. 
no this is uh, fine but like the thing is he's he tells her i'm in love with you so uh i, I mean like this has ruined my life i i can't go on it's like i'm gonna come to the wedding and i'll tell him <laughs> and she's like no no you can't you can't do that because like first she's like you still have to come to the wedding but you can't tell him he's like i will come to the wedding and i will tell him and it's like no then you can't come to the wedding like i will and he ultimately convinces her she has to go to the opera with him because he loves two things. He loves her and her he loves the opera. And the opera, yeah. So, and then if she does this for him, he will consider his dream fulfilled and then he will not go to the wedding and he will not bother her ever again. And I can't see how he thought he was going to have the willpower to be able to do this. You know, I feel like he would. Because he does seem to be like that kind of crazy, passionate person. And oh, like, he would do it, but it would torture the shit out of him. Well, yeah, that's why he's saying, you ruined my life. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, okay, I get it, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I do feel like he is someone who would uh, very strictly stand by his word on such a thing. True. And I think she senses that, too. It's like, okay, I will go to the opera with you. Uh but first, she has to go to confession. Right. Um, this scene was a little bit weird because I I don't know if it's maybe just like the community part of this, but I, mm. I didn't get why the priest knew her name. I thought it was going to turn out to be the dad or something. Oh, yeah. No, that that's just like, you know, she's probably been going to this priest her entire life. Yeah, yeah. And so he just that, knows everybody in the community. Yeah, I guess like, and that makes more sense because we don't see the priest's face here. Yeah. No, but they they like, just focus on his hands as he's uh-huh. you know gesturing. He's like, say one rosary. <laughs> but he she she sneaks it in between two really minor things. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's like um. I took the well, Lord's name in vain once, and I uh, slept uh, with my fiance's brother, and. Uh, I, I bounced a check at the liquor store. Bounced a check at the liquor store. But the third like, one wasn't my fault. Yeah. He's like, could you go back to the second one for a second? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. She like does it that way. You can tell she just did it on purpose. Like, oh, yeah. That would just slide right by. Yeah. <laughs> I love That's it. great. <laughs> <laughs> and she she goes out and Rose is also there. Like she's uh, praying in one of the pews uh, because she's realized that Cosmo's cheating. Uh-huh. And I don't think Loretta tells her mom anything about what's going on yet. I think she's uh, like distracted. Yeah, no, not yet. But she next goes to the deli. Uh, uh, but first we have like a scene of what Raymond and Rita are up to before she gets there. And Raymond is very frisky. <laughs> Cause like it was the moon last night and like, you know, he told that story and he's just like filled with the romance of the moon, <laughs> like, uh, getting frisky with his wife. Oh yeah. And he's all like singing and <laughs> it's very sweet. Mm hmm. He's just, like, full of energy. And Loretta stops in to pick up the bank deposit. And she's just, like, in a... Uh, all, all flushed about everything, you know? She yeah. doesn't want to talk about it, but, like, she's obviously in a tizzy. Uh, but, like, 
he's like, oh, she's going on a date. And it's like, she's not going on a date, you idiot. Her her fiance's in Sicily. Um, another interesting thing about her and Johnny's relationship is when they mm. were having the dinner, I didn't get the feeling they were dating even until uh, oh. he asked her. Until he it looked like a business meal. Him. It looked like <laughs> if it looked and felt like a business meal, and yeah, like she was the secretary or or like a, a lawyer or something like that. Mm-hmm. It, they don't feel like they're in a relationship at all. Well, there isn't romance. Like there, there's <laughs> yeah. distinctly a lack of romance. It's just an element of you know they're they're people who know each other, and it, it would be convenient. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so she, she leaves the place and she gets her makeover at Cinderella salon. (laughs) Oh yeah. (laughs) And the stylist is like, oh, I've always wanted to do this. Yeah. Not quite sure what she's referencing. Maybe just like the complete makeover thing. I think it was the gray. I, 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 because like, again, this is community and they know her and she's like going by the time they're next door to the deli. Yeah, so they'd be okay. Yeah, of course. So like, she clearly knows them. She works next door half the time, like as a bookkeeper, because she does the bookkeeping for them too. Uh, so you know, they just know her, and they're like, oh, I've been wanting to take those gray streaks out forever. Uh, and she also goes and buys this really fabulous red dress, of course. Mm, yep, yeah. and oh, the the makeup that she gets, and she comes out share. <sighs> Share yeah. 87 superstar. <laughs> yeah, see, see, the share that I know when I think of share is more like the 2000s share right, with like right. all the plastic sort of believe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like, to me, share, to me, share was never hot because I wasn't paying attention to share when she was. So hot. But uh, here it's like, oh, okay, I get it now. Yeah, all right. Uh-huh. And th- this is that whole sequence where she's just like drinking wine and deciding to put on the dress. And it's great. Like her looking at herself in the mirror with her makeover. Uh, and then she goes to meet Ronnie at uh, the the Met. She she meets at the fountain. And he's. Yeah. He's dressed up with his tuxedo and it's looking good. It takes a long time for them to see each other. And I thought they were going to go with the joke that. Neither of them recognize each other because they cleaned up so much. Uh-huh. The only other time he she saw him, he's had like the the white sleeveless shirt on and the messed up hair and covered in sweat. Yeah, and just like, you know, slacks and stuff. And he's just in a tuxedo looking like a million bucks. Uh, and he's yeah. stunned by the hair and the dress. Like she mm-hmm. she walks up to him. She she looks stunning, obviously. Oh yeah, and he says, "Thank you." Thank you. Yeah. Because, like, you know, he I, I do feel he's a very realistic person to a certain extent about uh, uh, his his uh, ability to uh, just go through with this and is like, OK, the, this could be the only time. But, hey, yeah. she showed up and she's making a genuine effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cosmo is also there with his mistress, Mona. Although they yep. don't see each other for a while. No, not for a while, but yeah, no, nobody sees each other for a while. 
and then yeah. until they do. Because we we're setting everybody up on these weird little parallels. Because Rose goes to the Grand Ticino to get dinner, and she runs into Mahoney, who is once again having a drink thrown in his face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't realize he was going to become a character. Just right. yet, I thought he was just going to be like the guy who comes in every Friday to get drinks thrown at him. Like, right, that's like, just his—he's like the norm, but with drinks getting thrown. Well, totally. I I think this is very like uh, what I'm talking about with the the quirk for quirk's sake is in a bad version of this movie, you just have like another couple scenes at Grand Ticino where this happens in the background, versus here where. She's like, okay, what is going on with you? And he, she oh, invites yeah. him to the it table. Takes off this whole thing. Yeah, he becomes an important thematic character, and he sort of like, it, it becomes these three paralleled, quasi illicit couples. Because uh-huh. we've got uh, Rose with Perry, we've got Cosmo and Mona, and we've got Loretta and Ronnie. Yeah, but but yeah. I I really love their conversation. Mm-hmm. So like they're, um, they're talking about male and female relationships. She wants to know why men chase women, and he's telling her about his bad relationships. Oh shoot! I, <laughs> okay, well, like so, it, it so, he's recognizing that his relationships are totally unsustainable because like he's always dating students. He's a communications prophet at NYU, and he's like. You know, they they look up to me. They see me as this amazing person, and just uh, as they get to know me, they realize I'm boring and banal. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, sorry, I I couldn't quite remember exactly what they were talking about. Okay, and and she's asking him about why men chase women because obviously she's concerned about what's going on with Cosmo, and she's giving her theory that it's fear of death. Uh, yeah. And. He he sort of vibes with that and is like and, and that's basically what he's saying. He's sort of become uh you know, as an older man who is single and doesn't really have any prospects and he's mostly dating these much younger women. Uh it's it's obviously like he's just looking for something to make him feel alive. Mm-hmm. Or or maybe make him feel like younger than he is and he's not so not so close to death, not so much younger right yeah uh and uh also the grandpa we see out walking the dogs and moon gazing again uh mm-hmm. to to run into people later yeah yeah because <laughs> he runs into rose uh walking with perry uh and gives him a look but he doesn't say anything yep yeah there's like this nice this good scene where like uh, it's a it's a street corner, and you see them on one side of the screen, and and him with the dogs on the other, and you just know they're going to run into each other. Mm-hmm. But like for a second, I just wondered if somehow they might miss each other because it was, I don't know, it kind of looked like maybe for a second they might, but then I was like, how could anyone miss anyone here? But they of course almost they collide. Yes, they almost collide. Uh, meanwhile, we, we cut to La Boheme. Loretta is very moved by it, and we see them hold hands, which is mm-hmm. sort of uh, a moment. Uh, and 
like they, they they converse about it in the middle and she's a little skeptical but by the end of it like she's you know totally uh taken by it by the emotion of the piece yeah yeah she's like there's things i like but i mostly don't get it is i think what she says at first yeah in the in like the middle section but then like yeah. she gets into the emotions of the piece by mm-hmm. the end uh but, yeah and she's she's like crying at the end right uh and then leaving they run into Cosma, Cosmo and Mona and they confront each other. Yeah. <laughs> Cause like both of them are kind of, uh, not who, not, not with people they should be with. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like she even says to Ronnie afterwards, like that woman is not my mother. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they, they both realize they're with someone they're not supposed to be with. And, uh, argue but like we don't really see what happens with cosmo in between with him and mona until he shows up back home later yeah i like i like how how they uh part ways they're like i never saw you here and he's like i don't know if i saw you or not right uh uh and so we, we get uh perry uh showing up at the house like they're they they they've walked to the house uh yeah. perry and rose and he's just like you own this place My good lord. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he's kind of angling to be invited in just like you can't invite me in because you're because it's like because someone's home and it's like i can't oh, no, invite it's probably you in. empty yeah it's probably empty i can't invite you in because i'm married it's like, ah, it's like, well, we could go to my apartment. It's like, I'm too old for you. <laughs> it's like, I'm too old for me. That's my predicament. <laughs> and like, he, again, he's the sort of character that in another movie like this could very easily be a joke or be kind of uh, unpleasant. Like, could be oh, a yeah. Jerk. I, I could very easily see him be kind of like a sleazy character, but he's sweet. He's warm. Yeah. Yeah. He just makes some mistakes. Things happen and it's not really anyone's fault as, as uh, yeah. Ronnie puts it towards the beginning. And he, he knows who he is. He's self-aware. Uh-huh. And I think that goes a really long way. Yeah. And paralleled with that, we see Loretta and Ronnie walking home and are just walking uh, ultimately, yeah. it turns out he's been walking to his apartment and she was not aware of it. But I think she was kind of aware of it. Yeah, I don't think they I don't think she would have bought that they were just walking randomly. I don't I don't think there was no that much effort she, into the pretense. No, she uh, makes like she's surprised when they get there. But like, as he says to her, you run to the wolf in me. You ain't no lamb. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, and she's like, um, look, no, the deal was I'd go on a date with you to the opera. I did that. Yeah. And she's very much arguing for logic while he's arguing for passion. Yeah. And he, he's like, love. Don't make things nice. It ruins everything. It breaks your heart. Uh, and I, I love this bit because his speech swells. And it starts to snow, and the aria from La Boheme plays. This is a big, cresting emotional moment. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. What is it? Like, snowflakes are perfect. People aren't 
perfect or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, And ultimately, she's like, okay, I'll I'll go upstairs with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She's convinced. Yeah, she 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 takes a little convincing, but not that much. She's he's so clearly hot. <laughs> like, are they really related? Yeah, right, man. <laughs> and of course, then we cut to the airport where Johnny has surprisingly arrived back into the movie much sooner than was <laughs> expected. Oh, oh, go, going back a bit. Mm, sorry to the opera scene uh, yeah. with Cosmo. I kind of get the feeling his I don't know if I saw you or not is like I don't know if I approve of you being with this hot tuxedo guy instead of shitty Johnny. Hmm. I don't know because like they I haven't really made up my mind Ronnie about later. yeah oh yeah yeah later Ronnie but like fits here it's, right in oh yeah but here I kind of feel like like he said the I don't know if I saw you or not like I don't know if I'm okay with what's going on. Whereas hers is like, I'm not okay with what's going on. I feel like, it's maybe one way to interpret it. I, I feel like it's him saying that that he is not really sure he's going to uh, communicate this to anyone ever because he just, just doesn't even know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah, true and, enough. And he's he's very willing for his thing not to have existed if that could be oh, yeah. <laughs> arranged. Uh, I, I like this bit with the luggage. With Johnny. Oh yeah, yeah. He keeps leaving his behind his luggage everywhere he goes, and he has to go back for it. And they do it like a solid three times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like he he almost leaves it outside. Like we get to the taxi, and then the taxi drives off without the luggage, and he has to go He's back. Like, and then when he gets out of the taxi, he almost leaves. His he leaves his luggage on the taxi and he's like, wait, hold on. And then, of course, when he gets he, he for some reason drives directly to the Castorinis and he leaves. Yeah. He, he does leave the luggage then on the step. Yes, he does. <laughs> and they walk in. Yeah. And so Rose is home because, you know, she sent Perry home and she and Johnny talk about his mother has miraculously recovered. <laughs> Yeah, what was it? As soon as she found out uh, that he was getting married, I think he actually doesn't explain it until the morning. Oh, okay, part. okay. I, I think right. that's. Oh no, you're right. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. He just says that she's miraculously recovered and that he needs to talk to Loretta, uh, yeah. but she's not home. So she she's on her her questioning of men about why do men chase women. And he first has his thing about Adam's rib. Oh, yeah, right. Um, how when I it's how when God made Adam and Eve, uh, Eve was made from Adam's rib. And it, right. Like Adam just wants to become whole again. Was that it or something like? Yeah, that, you know, man is not complete without a woman because. The, yeah, that's it. That's be. what it was. He's also yeah, maybe it's just fear of death and. You know, she's right into like, ah, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, definitely fear of death. No, you, you've answered it. Yeah. Yeah, well, this is, I think, like the second second or third time that she's got that answer from different people. Right. Uh, so then Cosmo shows up and he won't say where he's been. 
Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. He's very cagey and he's like, I, I know what you're up to. Uh, and she yells after him, you're going to die like everybody else. And he says, thank you. I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, Rose is, or, uh, Lorette is not there, so Johnny goes home. After almost leaving his luggage at their house. Right. Or, or does he leave it? I don't even know. He may. He might. Uh, and then, then we have, like, the scenes of Ronnie and Loretta in the morning. Ronnie just listening to La Boheme, of course. And, oh, and with Johnny and the luggage, we had goofy music as he was uh, taking the taxi. <laughs> right. He's a goofy character. Yeah. Uh, Dick Hyman did the score for this. Uh, you know, a jazz pioneer, jazz pianist. <laughs> Uh, right on. Um, unfortunate name. It's it's a name. Uh, so Loretta was walking home, kicking a can. I think both of these sequences are just very uh, a nice like contemplative morning uh, contrast to like the moon night where you uh. have the two of them separately kind of uh, experiencing the morning after the two of them have parted and knowing that like yeah we've kind of uh, changed everything and we're kind of gonna have to figure that out real quick. Yeah, yeah. Because she gets home and she's like, she she talks to Rose like, okay, everything's different. Uh, and yeah, Rose is like, so... listen, Johnny's back though. <laughs> oh my god! But I thought I thought her, I thought his mother was dying. Like, or but like sent it away like she's supposed to be dying. Right. And like Rose sees a love bite. <laughs> like, oh yeah, you got oh, a love my bite god. on your neck. She she is immediately cluing into what's going on, and the doorbell rings, and they think it's Johnny, but it's Ronnie first. Uh-huh. First of uh, several people to show up. I think everybody shows up here. Yeah, so here <laughs> here's the real climax. Which is so good, and it's amazing this a, how... This what? is the best part of the movie. It's it, like it's beautiful. It, it, it's just so tightly constructed that everything just kind of unwinds. Like yeah. it, it's just a release of tension in a really beautiful way. Yeah, it looks like it's gonna just be a powder keg. Like they're building up a powder keg, and it's just gonna explode. And uh, well, well, we'll get to what hap- what does happen. Right. I mean, it it makes me feel like the classic Shakespearean comedies, and this just like everything kind of just works out really nice for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very elegantly. Uh, and so Ronnie shows up and Rose invites him in and she says like, you got a love bite on your neck. <laughs> <laughs> like she's, she's completely put it together immediately. Yeah. And he's like, okay, I'm going to tell Johnny. And she's like, no, you're not. Right. And th- there's a lot of kind of like side communication where everybody's putting things together through looks without anything being directly explained. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, you want some oatmeal? And he's like, yeah, I would love some oatmeal. Uh, and he's just kind of immediately a good fit. He he just blends right into them. Like, he, he fits into the family dynamic without a problem. Yeah, he even, like, has his own seat at the table. Yeah. Uh, Cosmo gets up, he joins them for oatmeal, and he's just, like, picking all of it up just by looking around. He's like, hmm, yeah, okay, I see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one says anything to him. He's like, I get what's going on here. Yep. Uh, the grandpa gets up, and this is where he confronts Cosmo about paying for the wedding. 
Yep, and Cos <laughs> and what Cosmo says made me laugh here is like, if they get married, I'll pay for the wedding. Right. <laughs> Just... Like things are things are up in the air all of a sudden. It's like, all right, I can gamble on this. <laughs> yeah. I'll roll these dice. Yeah. Uh, and Rose confronts Cosmo about the mistress. She doesn't say specifically, and he's like, I want you to stop seeing her. Oh, and then he, and here's where I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, because he just does that thing where you slam your hands down on the table. Right, he, like, slowly rises and, like, pounds a fist on the table and is like, okay. Okay. Okay, he says. (laughs) Sits back down. Sits back down. And yeah, like the the tension sort of diffuses, but he he has this things like I I like my life is built on nothing, uh, but she has that really your your life is not built on nothing, Tiamo, uh, and it's a very sweet moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the doorbell rings, <laughs> and it's and they're Raymond like, oh, it's probably Rita. Johnny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Raymond and, and Rita. The, and they are concerned, you know, they, they they are clearly troubled by something, but they don't want to come out and say anything. Oh, yeah, that's right. So um, it's like, we went to the bank yesterday. And she's like, oh, my God, I forgot the deposit because she still has not like, oh, you have the bag. Oh, we, we I mean, we didn't think you would. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like. And like everything, they're they're always just talking around any actual thing. Uh, you, we only know what's happening because we've seen the whole story unfold to this point, and yeah, everything yeah. is just being communicated by how people look at each other. I like how like they're sitting down and there's not enough chairs now for Rita. She has to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> and finally, the doorbell rings again, and it's Johnny. Yep. So here we are at the at the end of the movie, um, where he explains uh, that his this mother. This is where he, he says about how the mother got better. Yeah, uh, she got better because he told her he was getting married. And she immediately like sat up and made dinner for the whole family and herself, and she's filled with energy. And he wants to talk to Loretta alone. It's like, I need my family around me right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and, uh, he sees Johnny, too. Right. It's like, are you here to make up for the bad blood? And Johnny's like, yes. Or Ronnie, rather. Yeah, it's like, are are you here to to make amends? Like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's like, here's another one. This is going to be a fight. But it doesn't turn into a fight. Right. And he the 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 first time anyone kind of suddenly has a fight is he's like, I can't marry you. And like Loretta and Lonnie both are like, are you kidding me? You are such a mama's boy. I cannot believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Even though this is perfect for them. Like you, dude, I mean, come on. (laughs) So, okay, I didn't quite understand like his reasoning for why this means he can't marry her. Unless it's yeah. because he realizes he doesn't love her. I don't think it's that. I, I think it's just, you know, he, he he has to be able to devote himself to her at any given time, I think. Uh, I don't know. Oh, just for whatever okay. reason. 
It's, it doesn't matter because it's fine. Yeah, he, he's he's too obsessed with his mom to marry another woman. Uh, <laughs> and he, he wants the ring back. Once mother took away my car keys when I was looking at a woman in the mall. She was right to do it. She was right to do it. <laughs> yeah, so he wants he wants the ring back and, and Loretta throws it at him. And then Ronnie immediately proposes to her. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what? And and she's like, where's the ring? And he and, looks... <laughs> oh yeah, just like him giving that puppy dog look to Johnny. He's like, hmm? Uh, gives him the ring (laughs) yeah so so she so he puts it on her finger and 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 Rose right Rose asks do you love him it's like ma I love him awful it's like oh god that's too bad (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then everyone's all happy and Johnny's just like out in the corner and who is it the that says hey come on in uh, is it cosmo uh probably yeah i think yeah, so I think so uh and but it's like hey what are you doing you're part of the family too the, the everybody is family now uh and my favorite <laughs> closing or i don't know if it's the actual closing line but the the beautiful the, the grandpa's crying like, oh yeah right it's like what's wrong he's like i'm, I'm confused, so confused. <laughs> <laughs> He's the only one who wasn't able to put together what was going on between everybody. He saw all I'm, of it. Oh. I'm confused. He he didn't see the rest of the story building. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> so sweet. <laughs> yep. And then we get that song, uh, "The Moon Hits Your Eye." Or, yeah, that's or a more. That yeah, no, yeah, that, that is okay, the closing yeah. one. Dean Martin. It's great, ah, classic. That was that was movie. what introduced me to that song. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, great movie, just tremendous. Like one of the best romantic comedies of all time. Uh-huh. Yeah, and like, like I I don't really get into the romantic comedies either. Um, mm. But and basically, if it weren't for Nick Cage, I don't think I would have been sold on this one necessarily. Or or. I I wouldn't have watched it. I don't know if I would have liked it or not. Right, may not have. But I wouldn't have given it a chance. Right, right. Uh, I I am well, I'm into, glad I did. I am into like the classic romantic comedy, like especially the you know 30s uh, when you get the screwball comedies and uh, some of the classic stuff in the 60s where you kind of get into more gender dynamic stuff. Mm. Uh, but. I, I agree that like post nineties or like within the nineties, it sort of soured and it became sort of this unfortunate genre that's very ghettoized, like much more ghettoized than comedy and kind of exists as a lifetime movie or as like a Hallmark movie thing almost exclusively now. Yeah. Isn't Gross. it like, uh, and there was always like only about four or five different male leads for these things. I think, yeah. Hugh Grant was one of them, and Richard Gere. Yeah, you, you had a lot of overlap. Uh, and, I mean, you had all the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan ones, which are sort of oh, like yeah, the right. classier end. But, yeah, it's yeah, it's not a genre that I have a lot of love for after uh, a certain point. But this is one of the classics, and this is a definitive landmark one. It's just super good. Like, everybody in it is fantastic, and the writing is just so sparkling. Yeah, like, 
<laughs> it, it's a shame that I forgot so many lines because there's just so many good ones that oh, couldn't every keep line. track of all of them. Yeah. 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 There's this is another one where there's even though there's a lot of talking, there's no wasted dialogue. Yeah. Uh, so uh, this is replaced in the stacks with The Pit. <laughs> the Pit. Uh, this is a movie that was also very influential in my childhood. Uh, one of the first horror movies I remember seeing and being just very disturbed by for a long time. Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh, about this evil little boy who has a teddy bear who tells him to do bad things. And he finds a pit in the forest, just this hole. And there's these mutant troglodyte monsters in it. And the teddy bear tells him to feed them people. Ooh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, it, it came out in the early 80s. I saw it on TV with my grandma when I was very, very young. And it just stuck with me forever. <laughs> it's really messed up. Nice. Interesting. All right. So any final thoughts before we head into our second part? Yeah, this is a lot hotter than a, than the romantic comedies i'm used to oh like, yeah i like, mean that's another thing that's missing from so many of them like they're they're all pretty tame compared to this this is i would say is, chaste <laughs> yeah chaste is actually the exact word um like there's yeah. that movie um i think enchanted where it's it's like this woman who uh falls into a romance with like actual prince charming and it sort of like overlaps into reality. And oh, there's right. a thing with like uh, the, I don't know if it's that movie or, or is another one where like in maybe it was a, a recent romantic comedy parody, but uh, where there, there's never any actual sex. They just like kiss and something's about to happen. And then they just wake up the next morning. And that's just totally the cliche now. And like this one has raw sexuality. Oh yeah. <laughs> like it's not explicit, but like, you know there it's it's hot you 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 really feel the the heat between them yeah like i i would never guess nick cage for a romantic leading man but he definitely works here yeah it's it's uh something that he does not do often like honestly i don't know if he and ever alongside did this again. share holy shit yeah. oh <laughs> like, and to them. have actual like two-way chemistry there mm-hmm. that's interesting it's it's so good. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to head on into part two. And we're back for our second feature where we're talking about classic Sam Raimi film, Bruce Campbell versus An Army of Darkness. The third Evil Dead film, but nope, it's called Bruce Campbell versus The Army of Darkness. And I just love that. Great. Yeah, it's a. <laughs> That it has Bruce Campbell's name over the title and like almost incorporated into it, like Bruce Campbell versus not even Ash versus, but Bruce Campbell. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's at the at this point, Ash and Bruce Campbell. This is part of how I I think I spoke way back mm. in the first Army of Darkness, how at some point his name became Bruce Campbell in my mind, even though intellectually I knew he was Ash. I think this is a huge part of the reason. Most likely, and especially this being how you were first introduced to him, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And oh boy, my thoughts on him, on his character and this have changed since I was a teenager. 
He still rules. <laughs> he still rules, but not in the same way. It's more satirical than you feel. Like at the time, it doesn't feel satirical. It feels a little heightened and silly, but he pulls it off. Like every line, every corny one-liner, and almost his entire dialogue is corny one-liners. Uh, they all work because Bruce Campbell sells them. Oh yes, yeah. Even <laughs> even the ones that aren't ne- well, it's very quotable. Um, that's Super the thing. quotable. The, that's where it's very different from Evil Dead One and Two. Right. Uh, two didn't have a whole lot of dialogue at all to begin with, and one's just you know just horror movie guys doing horror movie guy shit. A lot of laughing. A lot, a lot, of, of, a lot laughing. of screaming. <laughs> yeah, but here it's like we uh, – on my friend's computer, he actually had like an MP3 of just different Evil Dead quotes like all strung together or well, a different remember, Army of Darkness quotes. Do you remember uh, keyboard themes where like you could uh, – or, or Windows the- audio themes where you would like download a bunch of quotes and you could set them to be like – all of the different sounds on your computer. I had oh one. Oh my God. Yeah. Like early days of the internet when you could like yep. download little sound files like that. I had an army of darkness one. I remember also having like a star Trek TOS one. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, like hail to the King baby when you're like shutting down the computer as instead of like the windows shutdown noise. Yeah. Or, um, and actually, that's also how that one uh, compilation MP3 is how I completely got the line wrong of Ash and the Boomstick. Mm. He, it's it's like because like I said it for one of my my name yeah, jokes I remember. the other one, but I got it wrong. I he know. doesn't say I'm Ash and this is my Boomstick, <laughs> no. but just like how Darth Vader doesn't say Luke, I'm your father, but that's how everybody remembers. But this is just how I remember it, and anyone who so I got that. Oh, I know that, right about that's what I did at the time when you're like, huh, I don't, I don't really know how to say, cause that's not the line. And it's yeah, like, I I did, it the, the part that you added it in was like the part is like, well, that's Nothing not made even it work. part of the line. It doesn't even work. <laughs> but fortunately I was doing it for the wrong movie. So it, it didn't have to work because it was wrong anyway. It was, it was, it was wrong on all sorts of ways. It was uh, wrong on purpose and by accident. But so uh, this one is, a pretty big difference from the first two in that, like, it completely moves the setting from yep. cabin in the woods to medieval times to yeah, you know, uh, a castle, a, a castle, a haunted forest, a Monty Python's Holy Grail esque castle. Like you, I, every time they show it at a distance, I do feel like someone should say, <laughs> "It's only a model." <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also get like a windmill mm-hmm. at one point. First windmill. Cursed Windmill, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so th- another interesting thing is that this one picks up where the last one left off, but not really. Well, it's interesting because it does another little brief remake again. Yeah, so I've got a theory about that, actually. No. Um, so it's not that whatever the most recent one is the canonical one is that we know that the deadites have time traveling powers. So by the end of evil dead one, uh, when the camera came up and attacked Ash, 
it pulled him back to the beginning of Evil Dead 2 where he had to actually relive a slightly different version of Evil Dead 1 to go into number 2. And then that happened again where now he's reliving this stuff. So he's actually done these movies like six times by the time the character gets here. Which, you know, fits with how Which sick completely. of it all he is by this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, so it, it's the, the, the Star Trek 09 stable time loops theory. Uh, I guess so. Kind of like it, it, that movie was an interesting one where it's a soft reset of the series that. Oh, has yeah, like, that's right. You know, uh, original Spock come by and pass the torch and be like, yeah, well, this is the same universe. Uh, that was actually kind of more of a bane. I don't know where I was going with that. But, uh, you know, this is it's 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 the same kind of thing. You know, it's a stable time loop where each time we reset, but we have a slightly different take on the previous version, but really fast and amplified Mm -hmm. because amplified. Oh, yes. Amplified is really something that describes everything the deadites do. Oh, yeah. Um, They they go. They go a little crazy here uh, compared to what they are used compared to what we're used to seeing them doing. Uh, so we start. Yeah, we start. No, we start in the housewares department. Yes. Yeah, him, him telling the story. We, yeah, we have a his, framing device. Yeah. He's telling this story to his coworkers who do not care. Uh, one of whom is. uh, uh Ramey, uh, oh, oh, Ted um, Ramey. Right, Ted Ramey is uh, his his co-worker who looks very sick of it because he's probably heard a lot. Mm, he's <laughs> Well, he even asks him about it later on. Like, right. And we, we have Linda recast because it's uh, Bridget Fonda in just a very tiny role as Linda, the girlfriend who goes up to the cabin with him. Yeah, so even smaller than the Linda role last time. Yes. It, only like five minutes, maybe like total. Yeah. If that. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's the same replay. We, he goes to the cabin with her. He gives her stupid necklace and she dies and he gets yeah. pulled back into history. Yeah. So unlike in the previous movie where he kills a gargoyle and then the people worship him like a king, uh, here he is immediately enslaved because they think he's with uh, what is it Henry the Red? Duke Henry, yeah. Yeah. And actually, who, I think that's I, I think that we actually open on him in the stocks uh, being marched as a slave, and he flashes and he's like, "It didn't always used to be like this." Oh, and then right. he that's flashes to yes. the the Smart. And then we we got flashbacks within flashbacks within flashbacks, which is in keeping with all the looping time. And like I I think the main thing with Raimi is he is someone who has zero interest in continuity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like like we're like I'm making up this crazy Mm. theory just to make continuity of the Evil Dead verse work. Yeah, it's fun. (laughs) Like like my things with uh, Friday the Thirteenth and its whole complex mythology. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, and like if Raimi here heard my theory he'd probably just be like whatever I don't care sure fine sure yeah <laughs> uh, so it's Lord Arthur you know yet to be King Arthur who uh, oh shit has, is that who he's supposed to be I think so because it's Merlin basically who's the wise oh man. yeah the wise man yeah. Uh, played by just... Mr. Pitt from Seinfeld <laughs> oh no kid oh yeah <laughs> he was Elaine's boss 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they capture him and take him to this... Well, they take him to their base, and he's going to be executed along with Duke Henry and his men. Right, they're going to throw them all in this uh, terrifying industrial pit in the ground. I like that it it's sort of this proto steampunk thing because this gets very steampunk it gets so steampunk which somehow didn't register to me all the times i saw it previously right so uh yeah this (laughs) so uh the first person to go into the pit uh we don't see what happens to him we just see a fountain of way too much blood coming out of the pit just a huge red geyser much like what happened to jake in part two Yep. Um, we can assume that he's just like that guy is left just a skeleton at the bottom, much like Jake when they encounter him later in the basement. <laughs> and Ash is just like, oh my god, uh, I just got here, you guys. Duke Henry, I don't know him. these guys. <laughs> yeah, you gotta tell him I'm not with you. I don't think he'll listen, lad. Indeed. Oh yeah, he has like this whole thing where he's talking to duke henry and of course he's like i'm duke henry i'm blah 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 blah, and it's like yeah well you ain't king about two things right now jack and shit and jack left town yeah you know quotes out the ass every line uh and he gets thrown in the pit no no someone throws a rock at him and he stumbles into the stumbles in perfectly and and like you know you have the pov sam raimi camera of him stumbling and wobbling at the edge of the pit and then doing a somersault somersault (laughs) so unnecessary but so beautiful so good and of course like you know it's it's a classic deadite at the bottom of the pit who just they love beating up on ash more than anything else it's the most fun in the world I think their plan originally was to conquer the world, but then they saw this one dude and it's like, oh my god, yo, guys, guys, check out the faces this guy makes when you fuck with him. Let's just revolve the whole time loop of the universe around fucking with this guy because of the faces he makes. Yeah, all right. It's so much fun to mess with this dude. Let's not do anything else forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So he, you know, he brawls with uh, the, the, the deadite lady in the the pit. And like, there's the great moment where he jumps up and raises his stump and Merlin throws the chainsaw in and like (laughs) lands and connects. Yeah, he, like, catches it, kind of. It, like, clicks in with just, like, him raising his arm in the air. He brings it down and, you know, starts it up and chainsaws the deadite. And then another one bursts out of the wall and they're, like, you know, enclosing spikes, you know, just always escalating. Yep, yep. Um, oh gosh, how does he get up from this one? I can't remember. Well, like, the the walls close in, uh, he's he impales the one guy on the spikes and then like yeah. he's getting up the chain. Oh yeah, that's right. He climbs up on the chain, the chain that uh, closes the, 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 the spikes the on him. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And he rises up and he's just covered in filth. It's black blood and green blood. And you know, he does his thing where it's like, all right, who wants a piece? <laughs> who wants some? You want a little? 
What about you? You? You want some? He centers on the one really scrawny, wormy-looking guy. It's like, you. (laughs) (laughs) And the guy's like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, no. It's great. (laughs) And that's when he does his speech about the, the... because oh, I I think maybe another thing pops out of there. The, this is where you get the, like the little harpy one that flies out and he shoots. Oh it. yeah, the yeah, and he shoots it, and then he's like, "All right, listen up, you primitive screwheads. This is the actual line. Mm-hmm. This is my bone stick." And he just goes off about, "I used to have this memorized." Yeah, it's his smart spiel for selling it. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's totally like his pitch when he would sell it, like you know walnut stock and uh, he he gives the whole product rundown and, and like the price even right and I like all of the the middle ages people like listening to this and like nodding like hmm, yeah that's a good deal <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I, I love the fact that this rifle is apparently sold in the housewares department. I mean, probably in uh, that period of time, because it's like just a big department store. So housewares, I guess, I guess would include. I mean, I I would think sporting goods normally. I would but think so too. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I, I mean, I, we we don't sell guns in our WalMarts, so I'm not yeah, sure. That's true. If it's the same. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he's he's just doing his salesman speech, and he's a good salesman. Uh huh. <laughs> So uh, is it around here where Arthur challenges him to a duel and he just kicks his ass? Right. I think maybe that's uh, what he does before giving the the actual oh, okay, full speech yeah. because uh, he shoots the gun. He shoots the sword in half. Right. He shoots the sword in half. Yeah. And then he's like, "Okay, you gotta let Henry and his men go." <laughs> yeah, the, Henry's like giggling as he leaves. He's like, ah, I'm free. You can't do anything to me. I'm allowed to be gone. But Ash becomes heroic. And then like Ash does kill a deadite and he he's a hero. And everyone's like, OK, we're we're into this guy. Uh, Especially uh, oh, what's her name? Sheila. Sheila. She's really into him. Uh, M. Beth Davids. She's great. She's really fun. And like she's doing that whole very courtly romance thing. Like she feels like she's a character who's, you know, tumbled out of a Fabio novel and does not realize <laughs> that this is very much not a Fabio character. Our eyes met. We are. That means we're married. And and like I, I love his line much later. It's like, oh, that was just pillow talk, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so here we've got Ash, like, sprawled out on the on the nice chair, being People fed feeding him grapes, yeah. <laughs> and he, he's the, the wise man, uh, who's basically Merlin, you know? He's, he's basically Merlin, even if they don't call him that, is, that's what he is. And he, he sends him on a quest, because Ash wants to get home, so he's like, okay, we need the Necronomicon to do that. Yeah, so... Um, so they, so the Necronomicon is in the forest, but before he takes it very specifically, you must say three words. Klato Barata Nectu, or something like that. Klato Barata Nectu. Okay. Uh, they, these are the words spoken by, um, I think it, the character's Klato. Uh, in, in, it's the robot in the day the earth stood still. 
Uh, there okay. are also three uh, Star Wars characters named after these words. There is a Klaatu, a Barada, and a Nikto. <laughs> uh, it's it's one of these phrases that shows up a lot in uh, sci-fi and genre fiction. Uh, there's a prog rock band named Klaatu as well. Oh, interesting. Cool. I've, I've definitely heard it other places than here, uh, before here and after here. So I didn't yeah. realize... I mean, I, I feel wasn't like this sure is... how pervasive it was at, at this time. Yeah, I mean, it, it was around because like all of those are prior to this. Uh, and it, yeah. it's it, it's probably what introduced me to it, though, because I didn't see Day of the Earth Sid Still until later. But then I knew the words, but I had already known the words from the Star Wars characters because I collected the figures as a kid. Oh, yeah, right. Because every single like side character that was leaning on a wall in the cantina has... A right. name and a novel dedicated to them. And and that's why they were Klaatu, Barada, and Nikto. Is like George Lucas was just like, I don't know, we'll just throw some random words on these guys. Like, oh, well, you can make it a tribute to a movie he loved as a kid. Yeah. yeah. Sure, why not? Absolutely. It worked. I mean, he's a freaking multi-gazillionaire. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I like this bit with the wise man getting him. He's like, okay, you got to repeat these words is like i got them <laughs> i got them i got them come on like <laughs> so he goes first to uh the windmill oh yeah so the cursed windmill oh wait did he has he made the gauntlet yet oh um maybe oh yeah no i think they make him the gauntlet while he's being fed the grapes probably like they have a few different making stuff scenes yeah so yeah so they they build him a function at some point at least either here or before the final battle they i think build it's him a here full, yeah a fully functional uh robotic hand yeah that he built with like his engineering textbooks that he's got in the back of his oldsmobile oh actually you know what that would have been later then no, I think it is here for that first part. I, I, okay. I'm I pretty sure he has this when he encounters Evil Ash. Right. Or when Evil Ash separates from him, I feel like he has the hand. But I'm not oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, Either way, one of those times he makes it, it but it, it doesn't yeah. really matter at this point. The, the thing is, he's at this windmill, and he... Uh, spooks himself looking at himself in a mirror <laughs> yeah <laughs> breaks it so he breaks it and he's looking at it and all the little ash is looking back at him um so ash has really bad luck with mirrors oh yeah and um, like I, I i really like the way the effect is done because it has just the shot of him looking down at all of them and then it sort of freezes and he steps away and then they're all still in the reflection and they all climb up out of the mirrors. Yeah. It's a cool effect. Um, hmm. So one thing I like about this scene and the following scenes that seems to be kind of canon about how Ash works post, uh, post evil dead one, at least hmm. whenever he's by himself, he is, an incompetent buffoon who can't get anything right. But if somebody else is relying on him, sometimes he can get his shit together. And, and like, if he can be heroic for that, but like, if he's the only one in the scene, he will be the butt of all the jokes and will not succeed at anything. He has to be heroic when an audience is present. 
Yes. Uh, that, that's necessary to him. He's always on. But like if he's not in front of anyone, he's not on and he can be a doofus. Yeah, and like, he uh, is a doofus. <laughs> yeah, like like I was thinking about how in the Evil Dead two uh, when when the other when the family or the other people come to the mm. cabin um, and they see like this crazy guy and then he gets like all the badass shotgun and groovy and it's like mm. five minutes ago this guy was losing his mind dancing with the lamp and these guys don't even know. It's yeah, because just... now he is just he's on he's he's with his audience and he needs to be the hero guy. Yeah, it's like so like this is like the stuff that he doesn't want people to see that gets left out of the stories, although it became part of the story when he told it to the guy in the shop. But, you know, maybe. Uh, but like I, I really love the the slapstick of this scene. It's so over the top. It's very Looney Tunes. He's very Daffy Duck. Mm-hmm. Uh the them all attacking him as if he's uh, Gulliver and they're the yeah, strung him up like Gulliver's travels. That's exactly what that made me think of. Uh, the, like, the, one of them dives into his mouth. <laughs> yeah, like they they push his nostrils close, so he has to open his mouth, breathe, and they dive in. So he swallows boiling water. Oh my god. And like to, screaming laughter at his like, I'll get you. <laughs> oh, but, but it's that thing where it's like, ah, ha, 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 and then immediately turns into a look of, oh, my God, pain, like with the chainsaw thing. Right. He's, these are the scenes also where, like, I think he shines because He's before so I was like, when I was a teenager, I was like, what the hell? Why is he being such a goofball here? Isn't he supposed to be like the super badass that everyone aspires to be? And now I'm like. No, he's not. Oh, I was always fully sold on both sides of it. See, it's just like two sides of the same coin. The yeah. Bruce Campbell conundrum. Yeah, uh, I, I get it now. Because um, I, I guess I just didn't realize it was a satire when I was younger. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I think there's also a bit in this where he, he goes to step on one of them and it like grabs a nail from the floor and makes him step on the nail oh instead. yeah he, he even does like this whole fee five faux fum thing yeah and and there's the part where like they knock him over and he's on the the burning grill and he has to get oh, the yeah, shovel his face is stuck to it <laughs> and oh and then he has to like pull his face off of the shovel thing and it's like all elongated like a cartoon that's <laughs> later the, the, oh that's later okay. the the elongated faces in the graveyard when he's oh, okay. it, it pulled into one of the books oh yeah the this one he thing. just burns his face because he, yeah, he just to, burns his face he's, he's stuck on the the pan <laughs> yeah but so like ultimately he 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 swallows or one of them is inside him and he like he pours the hot water on it but you know they're demons so it's just in him and then yep. like an eye forms in his shoulder oh yeah that's such a cool gross effect yeah and he's like scratching it and like itching and then like it opens up and there's this eye looking at him and it very quickly starts to develop into a whole second body Yep, he's like running down. <laughs> it's this amazing thing where he's like running down the the hill, and there's like another head growing out of him, and like the two, the arms are punching each head. 
They're doing like the Three Stooges eye gouges. Yeah. You gotta. (laughs) So eventually, after a bunch of beating each other up, this other Ash completely escapes from Ash's body and becomes our main villain. Essentially, although like he he's well, not there a, a lot. Yeah, he yeah. he's mostly commanding an army, so he's not really in direct opposition for a lot of the time. Uh, and uh, I can't remember. Does he say, "I'll swallow your soul," and it's a swallow this moment? I can't remember the one liner, but he oh, he shoot. shoots him with the shotgun in the face and buries him. Oh, oh, yeah, that's what it was. It was, it was like. You're good, Ash, and I'm bad, Ash. You're good, oh, yeah. Ash, and I'm bad, Ash. Good, bad. bad. I'm the one, I'm with, the one the gun. with the gun. Yeah, yeah. He yeah, reminds me here of uh, Clint Eastwood and Fistful of Dollars, how every line he says has to be cool. Yeah, although it's so self-conscious that it is parodic. And, like, they do oh, yes. feel like they're all borrowed lines. Like, this feels like a line he borrowed from a Clint Eastwood movie. Like this is something really he does. saw in a movie and that he's repeating. It, that's you know, sort of the feeling you get. That's kind from of these. the feel I get from this character now. Um, before I thought he was just an action <laughs> hero that's like, how come nobody talks about this guy? They super <laughs> do talk about this guy. Not at the time. I feel like the, the cult for this has really risen over the years where in the early 90s when this movie came out, it was a mild success, but it really grew on home video. Big time grew. Mm, yeah. Uh, so he goes to the graveyard to find the Necronomicon and there's three books there. There's three of them. And he's like, oh, you never told me there was going to be three so uh, he has to do like the Indiana Jones thing and figure out which one is right. Uh, and he guesses wrong Indiana Jones each time. <laughs> every time he gets it wrong. So the first time it just bites him. No, no, that's the second time. The first well, time is the one that uh, pulls that it's like uh, a portal that like pulls him like, in. Yeah, a portal like a vacuum, like um, like whichever one of the alien movies where they get rid of it by just creating a tiny pinhole in the window that sucks the alien through alien three, I believe, or maybe that's resurrection. One of them anyway, but it's like that, like, like a door has been opened to space and it's just going to suck in all existence. Yeah. And and he does get sucked in. Like he does get sucked. He goes all the way in the, the, the book closes and then he has to fight his way back out. And that's when he comes out with like his chin is all elongated from being pulled in. <laughs> yeah. And it takes him a few tries to like get it back to normal. He has to do that cartoon. Wubba da wubba da wubba da. Yeah. Great. And then the second <laughs> one, he puts his hand on it and it bites him. And then it's flying at him like a bat for a yeah. while. He has to beat it down. He's like, I'll come back to you later. <laughs> and then he reaches for the third one and he's like, oh, wait, I got to say those magic words. But he's forgotten them. <laughs> so what he finally settles on after uh, thinking about it for a little bit is. He's like, hey, there you go. so I said it, and we're we're good now. And he he's like picking up the book. He's like, it's all we're we're fine. <laughs> I said the words. 
and you know calamity uh, everything starts to collapse uh all, all of the gravestones are shooting out of the ground <laughs> like rockets <laughs> amazing like uh skeleton hands grabbing him he's like He's got like a dozen different skeleton hands pulling him into the ground and like a couple of them like punching Poking him again, doing the, yeah, it's the three stooges eye poke thing again. And then he does like the thing where you, you block it by putting your hand in front of your eyes and then two different hands just poke him from different directions. So good. <laughs> I love this. I mean, I love all of Ash, but I, lo- I love this Ash. This is a lot of fun. Uh, his So Evil Ash rises from the grave and starts building his army with all of these guys who've popped out of the ground. Uh, he doesn't look anything like Bruce Campbell anymore. He's all gross and grody and... Heavily made up, although it's still played by Bruce Campbell. It's just like in a lot of makeup. Oh, oh yeah, I guess, I guess it would be. Mm-hmm. I, it didn't even occur to me that, oh yeah... He would probably be in that role. Um, the skeletons all look different from each other. They're not like copy-pasted skeletons. It's really cool. It's and great. Like, really good stop animation here. Yeah, like a real tribute to Ray Harryhausen. You can tell that that was sort of part of the impetus of this. They wanted to do a Harryhausen, Jason and the Argonauts type thing, which is like all of these skeletons. And it's beautiful. It feels very handmade again, much like that first one. Yeah. So he comes back to the cast and is like, all right, just send me back to my times. Like, did you say the words? Like, well, I don't know well, if I said every syllable. <laughs> I, don't, I basically said them. It's like, you doomed, you doomed us doomed all. Us all. <laughs> and, and Ash does, and here we get jerk Ash for a little bit. He's like, well, tough shit. I did the deal. You got to send me home anyway. Yeah, and if everyone. If we send you home, we will all die. I don't care. It's like, well, that's. It's like, fine, send the man home, and he he gets what he wants, and he becomes self conscious and sees everyone, kind of like disappointed in him. He's like, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that was the deal. So, uh. and yeah. then Sheila is abducted by a deadite. And he uh, has to turn things around. Yeah, is this where he like uh, is standing on top of the wall uh, and like rallies the troops here? Uh, basically, he 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 kind of immediately goes from, "Well, I'm going home and screw you guys." To, "Well, we got to do this thing. Let's uh, let's uh, figure this out." Yeah. So. And then so, we get the okay, big montage. Yeah, the, here's the montage. Now he pulls out all the, like, they wheel, they push the car in. Um, the classic. The, yeah. Uh, Sam Raimi's 1973 Oldsmobile Delta 88. It's in every movie he's ever made. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, so they he's got all these, like, science textbooks and stuff in the back because... I forgot about this, but in Evil Dead, way back in Evil Dead 1, he's like a university student. Yeah, I, I guess so, he's in an engineering student. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, he makes, we don't really see what he's doing, but we know he's making cool shit. Yeah, like they armor up the olds, uh, they, he, he teaches them some some moves like get, gets them doing some training drills for fighting them. They prepare yeah. a bunch of explosives. Oh yeah, right. 
because uh, like he he shows them how to make gunpowder and he prepares some explosives to uh, do all the flaming arrows and that shit which yeah. rules. Yeah. Um, and we've got like and we've got the evil army doing their preparations too. Um, evil Sheila's there. Right. She she becomes like an evil version of Sheila because she's a deadite for a while when she's with uh, evil Ash. Uh, and we have the great big battle and the battle is very Harryhausen. Oh yeah. Th- this is huge. Like we've got exploding skeletons all over the place. Um, oh, right. But it starts with, uh, them really holding on their, like really holding back their fire, doing the thing like, wait, wait, wait. After they've lit the fuses on their exploding arrows. Yeah, until they're just about all the way run out. And then, like, you know, they launch them all. We we get lots of exploding skeletons. Which just beautiful effects work. So much fun. So good. So good. Uh, but ultimately, uh, you know, they, they break the walls of the cat, Or they, they breach the walls of the castle. And you have particularly Evil Ash heading for the Necronomicon. And uh, both Arthur and Bruce fighting him. Yeah. Um, somewhere around here, they get out the car too, and we see it. It's this. It's very steampunk. It, it's yeah, it's like steampunk. He's even got steampunk goggles. It's got like this propeller thing built and a cow catcher. He's just running over deadites and shredding them with the propeller. Yeah. It's super cool. But then that this is when evil Sheila shows up uh, in the way and just like he swerves and and ditches the the armored car. Uh, to not run into her but of course one there aren't a lot of rules about deadites um one might argue there aren't any but one i found is deadites cannot stay if they're if they're fucking with you they can't stay in character for long right so it's like i actually have to scream in the stuff it's basically like you you used to love me once or no that's late that's a little bit after Somewhere around there, it's like, yeah. you found me beautiful once, baby. Honey, you, got you got real, real. ugly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, yeah, he blows her away, I think. Yeah, like, I, I think she gets launched over the parapets. And, and then he's, like, having his battle with, uh, like, I, I think there there's a moment where the battle is starting to turn against them and then duke henry and his men show up and oh yeah you know, yeah he, he has to show up in the 11th hour that's right yeah and then you know they're having that battle at the he's having uh first arthur is uh uh stabbed by evil ash but not killed but you know it's like he's wounded and can't continue to guard the necronomicon so uh bruce has to run up there and they fight and it's it's a very robin hood kind of fight it, it feels like yeah or the vikings you know with kurt russell it, it's yeah. it's very classical yeah they, they even end up like fighting up the stairs yeah and getting uh, and up onto the wall and it's fun because it's two different bruce campbells having this battle quite an interesting technical marvel uh yeah i i i didn't realize that i just figured the whole time i just figured it was another guy in a suit I think a lot of the time that's how they do it is doubles, but yeah, yeah. It, it's they they are both played by Bruce Campbell. Uh, but yeah, they you know, ultimately he he gets him on top of one of the big exploding bags of 
uh, uh, gunpowder and launches him and explodes him in the sky. Yep. Um, and then, and then they do like the whole big celebration. They've driven out the deadites. Yeah, Sheila is fine now. Oh yeah, Sheila gets better. Now that uh, they they destroyed the 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 head deadite and they have the book, so they can uh, set things right. The the priest is able, or the the wise man is able to like get things in order again. Yeah, but uh, to get back to his time, he has to say the words. Right, and he he does say them right. Uh, it, they they set it up as if he might not say them right, and he. It's weird because this isn't the way the uh, alternate ending happens. Oh, right, right. We watched a different – which ending did – there was two different endings and we only watched the one. We, saw we watched the, the theatrical, theatrical cut. Uh, but the director's cut, uh, there's an ending that kind of is suggested by this. But what's weird is it's not this, the three words again uh, because this is, I guess, reshoots and they they – added this ending to replace the original ending where uh, he was supposed to take six drops of potion to return to like sleep long enough to return to his time. Oh, okay. So it's like a Rip Van Winkle thing. He's just, Oh, a, gotcha. A cave. Yeah. Uh, so he, he takes six drops, but like uh, he's counting them and then he hears a noise, like some, some rocks falling in the cave. And then he, okay. take, he counts one of the numbers twice, so he takes seven drops, and he wakes up in uh, a ruined post-apocalyptic future. Well, that would have been interesting, too. It's I, a I like, downer. <laughs> yeah, I like what we ended up with, because uh, we cut back to him telling the story to his buddy, and it's like, did you say the words right this time? Well, like, I, I, got, I mostly that might not have got every single syllable correct. <laughs> the same line as before. Yeah. And of course, and, the Deadite shows up in the store. Yeah. And then he gets to be all cool, jump on a cart and blast his gun at it and shoot it and get the girl. The Deadite does like a bounce off a trampoline and everything. It's very oh, acrobatic. Yeah, right. A lot of fun. Trampoline bounce. <laughs> And then, yeah, he gets the girl, and he's just like, "Hail to the king, baby!" And they kiss. Uh, yeah, and the, and that's the, the the theatrical ending, which is pretty satisfying. Like, I I totally see the allure of both of them, uh, in that you know it's the endless suffering of Ash, uh, but I I feel like you get it either way. It's just this way Maybe you Ash get him. canonically had to go through both. Uh, probably he just I, had to relive the Evil Dead three again. And, you know, with with uh, Ash versus Evil Dead, obviously he's continually being tormented for years. So uh, either one is kind of just the endless suffering of Ash. So it sort of works either way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But yeah, so this is your first time rewatching in quite a while, right? Quite a while. Um, it, it holds it. Yeah, it, it's a completely different feeling than what i thought i was going to think going through Hmm. because i was like i thought like i thought ash was like not supposed to be like he was supposed to be a legit sincere you should want to be this guy kind of hero like someone someone like an arnold right and it's like and the movie kind of confused and baffled me i still loved it but i didn't get it it's Until one that I always loved. Yeah, like this. This is one of like, 
similar to The Pit or Moonstruck. This was a formative movie for me as a kid, like one that just I I watched it and is like, where has where have movies been my whole life? <laughs> like <laughs> these were like really key works for me uh, when I was really young that just kind of got me into just watching movies on TV all the time. I, I thought it was for me, but it was just a movie I watched a whole lot and didn't. It's really one get of those it. I movies. I guess ended up forgetting. Yeah. Like it, it, it does feel like teen canon. It, uh, like if you grew up in the nineties, this was one of those movies that you had to see it. Uh, it's great. It still holds up. Uh, I I feel it like does, it's not yeah. as strong as the first two, though. Honestly, I'm I was actually going to ask you what your favorite one was, and I, I kind of think I agree with you. Um, my favorite is number two. I I'm uh, not I, sure. I kind of maybe think on this viewing, number one is my favorite, but they're okay. all really good, uh, and they're they're so handmade. You know, yes, they're all yes. so lovingly put together. Oh, yeah. Like the effects of this are really good. Yeah. And like clearly handmade, too. Like they're not super high budget, but uh-huh. it's like people making the biggest handmade film of all time. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 lovely. Uh, Bruce Campbell is so great. Uh, <laughs> He's really good. It's it's him being allowed to do everything he wants to do. It's it's the rare Bruce Campbell leading man feature film, and I wish we had more of them because they have yeah. a different energy from any other action hero. They do, they do, because he he's got that kind of like he's he's got that kind of like tongue in cheek sort of thing, like he's kind of in on the joke, like he knows that the action hero y stuff is ridiculous. Yeah, he's in on the joke. he's just leaning into it. But he doesn't undercut it. Like, he still totally sells it. He still reads as completely cool, even though you also feel like he's aware that it's not that cool. It's like a a brilliant balancing act that I feel very few people are able to pull off. And he it's like second nature for Bruce Campbell. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could remember, but like uh, somebody did a tweet I saw actually probably like a few months ago now is like one of the saddest things about cinema is that Hollywood had no idea what to do with Bruce Campbell. It's totally true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so any last thoughts before we move to our third and final section? Uh, no, I think I'm good on army of darkness. Um, so yeah, what, so you're saying your first one, the first one is probably your favorite this time probably i mean one and two are so close yeah i've definitely come around on the first one now i think i just didn't have the right energy when i watched it that time that's fair uh so which is your favorite two you're Um, saying i'm yeah i'm going with two um but really they're they're all solid uh, they do work together really well as a trilogy, even when the storylines kind of contradict each other. And, and I have to come up with a whole like time loop canon to justify it in my head, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're they're made for individual viewing, and like each one perfectly stands alone, even though they're a series. And there was a thing yeah. where like uh, some executive at uh, I think it's Warner who owns these or Sony or whatever. It's like. Man, this Army of Darkness movie is is a real 
big seller on home video. Why don't we make another one of those? Not aware that it's part of uh, an existing series of three movies. Because it's just property. (laughs) (laughs) Studios. All right. uh, So we'll head on to part three. And we're back for our third and final section where we talk about movies we've watched in the past week and decide what we're going to watch next week. Uh, so I've been watching a lot of Friday the 13th and I. Oh, wow. So you have <laughs> <laughs> been been plowing through them. Uh, like I said, I really love these movies and they're total comfort food for me. Right. So first up in our moves is Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. And I, I want to, having got to this point in the series, I, I kind of want to go over my Crystal Lake series theory. Okay. This is sort of a, a thing I've been thinking about, is that you, you've got sort of three separate series here in the first eight. Okay. Uh, and I think of, like, the first three movies as kind of like the original trilogy. You've got the first one with Jason's mom, second one rise of jason and third is just kind of rehashing the same story as the second <laughs> it's kind of the return same return of the again. jason return of the jason it refines it it adds the hockey mask so yeah. you know the, the rise of jason trilogy right yeah four five and six are the tommy jarvis trilogy we have uh, uh Corey feldman showing up as tommy jarvis in number four, he kills Jason. Uh, number five has no Jason at all. We just have an imposter. Six has uh, Tommy Jarvis accidentally resurrecting Jason and starting the whole mess again. Jason lives. <laughs> okay. uh, and then I think of seven and eight as like Crystal Lake Nights in the same sense as like Baywatch Nights was kind of the bug nuts nighttime really goofy version of Baywatch where they fought vampires and werewolves and shit. <laughs> Wait, what? How have I not heard of this? Oh yeah. Uh, not very long lived. I think only went a couple seasons, maybe even only one. So, so did we have like, was it the original cast or some of them for sure? I don't oh, think damn. Hasselhoff was there, but I think he had appearances on it or something. Hmm. All right. So I feel like that's sort of the tone of them. The first three are playing things pretty serious and are like a, an ongoing arc. Fourth kind of transitions into that. And then we have Tommy Jarvis sort of take over as the main force in the series. with Jason kind of sidelined. And then seven and eight are just so goofy and become completely <laughs> supernatural where, you know, the previous ones, it's kind of almost a serial killer series, right? Yeah. slasher movie yeah uh, and then i feel like everything after that is totally off brand uh they uh eight is the last one made by paramount and the rest of them it's a new studio picks it up and reboots it they're non-canon as far as i'm concerned all right so jason lives is the first one that's kind of comedic and self-aware uh it it, it starts with tommy jarvis uh, going to the graveyard to really put jason away for good even though it's been like uh, maybe 10 years since there's been a jason attack uh all right jason well you stay in that grave that you that you stayed in you stay there good 
Yeah, and he digs him up. I guess his idea is to bury him, is to burn him or something, but he stabs him with uh, an iron rod, and obviously it gets hit by lightning, and Jason is revived like Frankenstein. <laughs> Uh, and now so he's yeah so he made it worse he, he made it worse uh and now jason is after everyone again he is the reason jason comes back okay <laughs> <laughs> and this one's kind of interesting as well it's very self-aware in terms of like leaning into the tropes but it's sort of aware of the audience and it's sort of it, like f- number five was not well liked being the one where there was no jason it was just an imposter right right and like every Jason movie opens with uh, kind of a flashback that sort of says where we are in the movie and where we are in the series. This is the only one that's like makes no mention of the previous movie. It's like that one doesn't exist. We're just going to quietly pretend that one didn't happen, basically. All right. <laughs> uh, Jason is kind of just a legend at this point. We have a bad girl, final girl. She's oh. the daughter of the police chief and she has the hots for Tommy. Okay. She's like a bad girl. Like she, she is like, you know, doing, driving around, being crazy. She's very. Okay, so hold on, a bad girl or an evil lady? No, just like a bad girl. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, They sound like they should be the same thing, and they're quite not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And so this one is also the first one to come back to it being a summer camp. Crystal Lake is finally reopened as a camp again. And this is the first one that has campers at the camp. Like it's an active camp at the time. So like it's sort of – it's like it's in conversation with the audience. It's like, okay, you didn't like five. That one didn't happen. Uh, Let's play with all of the jokes. We're going to be a bit more aware of ourselves and – yeah, it's it's a summer camp again. It's Jason uh, again. It's uh, we're we're going back to all the things you like. All right. It's pretty fun. Uh, I would cool, say it's cool. the one that's most reflective of how this series is seen in the public eye. Uh, next up is Evil Dead, the 2013 remake. Now, somehow this thing flew completely under my radar because I didn't know there was a 2013 remake until. A few months ago. Yeah, so this one was fully produced by Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and Rob Tappert, same people who okay. produced the original. Uh, they were, you know, involved. They were into it. Uh, the the classic is there, <laughs> the car. Uh, arguably, it's in continuity. It's just, you know, another tale taking place at the cabin. All right. Uh I'd say it's the best horror remake that exists. Uh, it's got really? a very similar energy to the original one. It really recaptures that grand guignol manic intensity. Uh, it does the same trick of like, let's introduce all these characters for a little bit, and then we're going to hit the ground running and never stop again. Okay, cool. Uh, obviously, you know, it's 2013 instead of 1981. So like, yeah. It's way gorier. It's way more bloody. They can go way further. The effects are just, you know, so much more uh, uh, advanced now. And it's it's heavily practical effects oriented. Like there's oh good, it's cleaned up a bit by CG, but uh, it's it's you know heavily using practical stuff. And I, I feel this is a series that wouldn't benefit from switching to fully CG. I agree. Yeah. And I feel like the the cleanness of the effects is still one of the biggest complaints people tended to have about it. 
but you know they're they're very good and they're very gushy and there's just a lot of them because you know it's just really ridiculous uh the interesting thing about it is it creates a better reason for them to be there and for them to stay it's an intervention oh oh that's interesting yeah there's like the the main girl is uh like on heroin or something and like they're you know they they set it up right from the beginning it's like well she's gonna be saying some weird stuff and we we just have to be strong and and like keep her here and so forth so it's a really smart setup although it does kind of abandon it for a long midsection of the film but it does come back and it it actually becomes one of the main resonances of the movie it is a movie about addiction oh cool oh interesting that's definitely yeah, not what the first evil dead was about no uh but yeah it's arguably in continuity it's it's a lot of fun cool cool all right next up is the quick and the dead the next sam raimi movie after army of darkness Ooh. uh incredible cast kind of unbelievable cast this is sam raimi doing a western and he does a western the way he does horror uh we set up a few characters and then we're just going to have gunfights for the whole rest of the movie because that's the part of the western <laughs> people really like you know <laughs> yeah, i guess it's very comic booky it just it's really non-stop action it's basically a march madness competition uh there there's a bracket of gunfighters and they're all going to gunfight until everybody's dead <laughs> okay you know what i'm i'm always up for a good tournament arc yeah, so uh, cast, Sharon Stone is the lead. And you got right. Gene Hackman as the main villain, the, nice. the evil sheriff who runs the town. Okay, cool. Russell Crowe as a disgraced priest slash gunfighter. Nice. Leonardo DiCaprio as the young boy gunfighter who is, uh, believes he's Hackman's son. Okay, uh, you got just like so many characters. Wow, you got is, Lance uh, Henriksen, Keith David. This is a lot of. This is a great cast to be getting uh, coming off of Evil Dead yeah, Three. It's it's just gigantic. Uh, and you know Sam Raimi, busiest camera in the West. <laughs> just, you got to push <laughs> zoom into every single moment. It it never stops. It's the most directed movie I've ever seen. <laughs> the most directed. <laughs> uh it's a lot of fun this is one i had never seen before is kind of my only blind spot in raimi's filmography oh, other cool. than for love of the game which uh, his baseball move with costner which i've never seen uh, yeah. <laughs> yet to come up uh next up is friday the 13th part 7 the new blood first of the crystal lake knights series oh great uh <laughs> the it's jason versus gets Harry. crazy yes it, yeah it's like the concept was the pitch was Jason fights Carrie. It's this girl with telekinesis. That's cool. Yeah. Is it cool? Just, it's 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 not one of my favorites. Uh in terms of the goofy ones, I much prefer eight. But like part of the problem is that when we introduce this girl with telekinesis, she's the most obvious final girl you've ever seen, right? Like it, it kind of takes uh the suspense out of everyone else is like well everybody else is just dead mates because she's the obvious person who has to show down with jason at the end oh yeah so she's she's the one who doesn't have a boyfriend and the one who 
Well, it's just she has telekinesis, so it doesn't well, even matter okay, yes. any other details, yes. right? <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, and she she is there with her psychologist who is exploiting her, and she has, like, a past history with this lake because she killed her dad there with telekinesis Ooh, by accident okay. by collapsing a dock on him. Uh, which How come just, he didn't turn into a drowned monster thing? Well, just you wait for the conclusion of the movie. Oh, no. Yeah, so <laughs> All right. There's a thing running through these latter day films where I get the feeling that anyone who ever dies in Crystal Lake is forever dead in Crystal Lake because <laughs> their their bodies can be called up at any moment when the lake needs them, which is why I consider so, it the Crystal Lake series and Crystal Lake nights. I guess people don't dive into Crystal Lake to recover bodies and have proper funerals for them or nothing. That's just not done. They mustn't because... Yeah, for real. Spoilers. At the end, uh, her dad comes out of the water and attacks Jason. <laughs> uh, she's there with her psychologist, who's played by Terry Kaiser, Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> nice. She's also funny. And she's uh. basically next door to a party house. So it's it's kind of a weird remix of part four. Because part right. four is the one with... Uh, Corey Feldman and his family next door to a party house that Jason attacks. Right, right. Uh, next up is Star Slammer, which is uh, the women in space jail movie. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I talked to you about this briefly on the weekend. It felt like we've been watching some Red Dwarf recently, the first season. Mm-hmm. And this feels like a women in prison movie. Uh, taking place in the Red Dwarf universe. It's it's kind of that <laughs> level of cheapness and silliness. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they're like t- talking about like woman in prison issues, and then they just hear, hear, overhear the guards. Lester, you've got to make a patrol. I don't want to make a patrol, Rima. You've got to patrol the cells, and you've got to rape the prisoners. I don't want to rape the prisoners, Rima. See, because, like, it's not, like, the same comedy approach. It's just once in a while it leans into the silliness and it looks like Red Dwarf. Like, (laughs) it it feels like somewhere else in the universe there's this weird quasi-erotic but quasi-tongue-in-cheek women in prison thing happening. Like, there's a part where they get put in the hole. And one of them finds a harmonica and has clearly never seen this thing before. And like, what the hell is this? And she like tries to eat it and then breathes through it and finds it, uh, finds it makes a sound. And then just like spontaneously learns the fine art of prison harmonica. Of course. You know, (laughs) (laughs) anyone can play prison harmonica. Yeah. If they're in prison. It's pretty silly, but it's fun. It's a Fred right Olin on. Ray, who's kind of like one of the great 80s exploitation guys. Okay, uh, cool. Next up is a movie that we both watched this weekend, Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. So your thoughts on it, because uh, yeah. <laughs> going from my Jason. Crystal Lake Knights uh, <laughs> concept here. Uh, so I think a better title for the movie would be Jason Takes a Boat to Manhattan. Yeah, it really should just be Jason takes a boat, right? <laughs> Jason takes a boat from Crystal Lake and somehow ends up in New York. I feel which, like people uh, 
would have been kinder to the movie had that been the title because he just then you know it's a bonus that he ends up at manhattan at the end <laughs> yeah yeah it's like but they do like this whole opening thing about like how manhattan is like the most dangerous city or whatever and then we don't even go there until the last 20 minutes of the movie this movie yeah. is not about manhattan it's mostly set on a boat. They're on a freighter somehow from Crystal Lake, which is in New Jersey, to the Atlantic, to the Hudson. I guess. Yeah. Um, in my mind, Crystal Lake is like, it's like West Springfield, how it's three times the size of Texas. I guess so. Crystal Lake is three times the size of Lake Superior. They've got their own coast, Crystal Lake Coast Guard. Although in... I feel like it's number three, uh, Friday the 13th, three. The lake is very small looking because <laughs> they didn't have a lake to shoot at, so they made one. Well, <laughs> uh, well then they dammed up the river later on to make it into a real lake, uh, the largest lake known to man. It's actually bigger than both the uh, Arctic and Indian Ocean combined. Well, and it it has to be taking place in the 2000s at this point. Like a lot of time has passed from the first one because uh, our our main girl knew Jason as a boy or was attacked by Jason as a drowned child before he was Jason. Well, I think some Jason stuff happened and then she was just – it's kind of – Almost implied that the drowned child exists separately from Jason. Yeah, that could but be it's not it too. Clear. Like again, the Tulpa theory. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so she she has this childhood trauma associated with Jason, which is something that a couple of the other final girls have had. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I love this one. It's completely off the rails. It's very goofy. Uh, we have survivors just disappearing off screen and never being red mentioned again just forgotten we have the jason billboard in manhattan which is really <laughs> funny Where we have jason punch a guy's head off jason punches the guy's head off is probably like the most famous thing about this movie and it's pretty great uh i i love all the boat stuff honestly uh the just it's it's a senior cruise and it really takes its time uh this is the longest of the Friday the 13th movies and the most expensive. <laughs> oh, it's the longest too. It is the longest. Yeah. They're, they're slim tight movies. This one's an hour yeah. 47, I think that is it does by far the longest. Take a while for things. It does. But for me, it's like, because these movies are such hangout movies for me, I'm so into it. And, and this oh, no, one, I, I love really love I love the look of it. There's some interesting and good lighting here, uh, like neon pink lighting in the ship's galley, like the kitchen. It's oh, like, yeah. That wouldn't be there, but I'm glad it is. Yeah, like uh, uh, under lighting and stuff, just all, all sorts of stuff. Uh, the characters are all pretty ludicrous in this one. I love the <laughs> captain and his fail <laughs> <The> son. <captain. laughs> it's like, oh, would you like to take the boat for a spin? Uh, Not really uh, go for it okay i guess oh you did it wrong you didn't do the very first thing you're supposed to do which is to toot the horn to give the maritime signal the maritime crystal lake of course 
Captain Jekyll and Mr. Hyde here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he's, he's like, I'm so proud of you, son. I can't, I'm so glad. I'm, I'm very excited for you to start the ship. And then the kid is like, okay. And he starts to do a couple things and dad just loses it instantly. <laughs> Why doesn't my son want to be the captain of a boat? And meanwhile, the main girl's creepy uncle is like, there is no such thing as Jason Voorhees. Well, what about the very obviously real slasher on the boat? Are we going to do anything about him? There's no such thing about Jason Voorhees. It's definitely just the creepy deckhand. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of very goofy, silly shit. (laughs) He takes it it upon himself to kill the deckhand, and the deckhand's like, no, it's Jason. It's on the boat. He he doesn't kill the deckhand. The deckhand finally stumbles over and he has an axe in his back. He's like, well, I guess it wasn't the deckhand. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, but like he was going to kill the deckhand. Right. He he was hunting for him. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I I absolutely love Jason Takes Manhattan. Uh, I totally get why people might not. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just. And very Canadian Irish cops. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You're, you're been, oh god what did he say it was it was so canadian though because you know i can't shot remember vancouver yeah a lot for. of this was shot in vancouver yeah uh very little actual manhattan most of this is more like east tastings which is much we, scarier oh oh by <laughs> far uh we see jason's face it's ridiculous it's very goofy uh and then of course just the toxic waste flushing through the sewers. You have <laughs> every 10 barrels. minutes or whatever. I think it's just at midnight every night. And there's like a thing with like <laughs> there, you see just a barrel of toxic waste with a rat in it that like someone gets drowned in at some point in the movie. Like it's so over the top. Like it's like, it takes place in the same universe as Chud and alligator. Like it's got that heightened mm. ludicrousness. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's good. Fun times. Uh, and the last addition uh, or last move is Next of Kin, which is the one that I was talking about last week that's like Suspiria Down Under. Ooh. So it's very, very stylish, like extremely visually inventive. It looks really beautiful. Very rad synth score by Klaus Schulze from uh, Tangerine Dream. Oh, cool. And is is this woman, she inherits this retirement home and... Uh, there's a series of deaths and they, you know, it's a retirement home. So you kind of maybe expect deaths, but they're all kind of vaguely suspicious. Like they're all, they seem to be accidents, but she starts to realize they're echoing a pattern uh, that has occurred before and that there's uh, actually, they're secretly murders and stuff. Uh, it's really cool. Very stylized. Right on, right on. So, um, what do you want to watch from those? Uh, I'm having a hard time picking. Um, so, before it was it was going to be between Evil Dead and the book, or the Quick and the Dead. But right. I'm curious about Next of Kin. Uh, They're all pretty good think? picks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we have done quite a bit of Raimi so far already. Although I do want to kind of finish out the Evil Dead thing. It's true. And like, I I, I, I don't have the next few because uh, a simple plan is the next one and I don't have it. Uh, it just, that's the one that's not out on Blu-ray. 
then there's the gift which i don't like and there's for love of the game which is his costner baseball movie which nobody saw (laughs) Uh, well you know what since it sounds uh, let's do the quick and the dead all right it's a lot of fun i'm glad that i finally saw this one it's uh it's underseen yeah uh it uh it's it's one that's like it didn't do well at the time but i have no idea why it's just really fun cool well yeah well we'll do that okay uh so we've only got uh three additions to the stacks this week uh other than the pit which we already talked about uh, first up is Death Ring. And man, look at this cast. Norris, McQueen, Swayze, Drago. Oh, wow. Uh, so guess the first names of those first three. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> so so we have Clark Norris. Um, it's Mike well, Norris. Mike Norris, okay. So not even Aaron Norris, who worked with uh, Chuck on a lot of his big movies. It's Mike <laughs> Norris. Oh, dear. All right. <laughs> who else is there? We've got Chad McQueen, who I believe <laughs> is McQueen's son, Steve McQueen's son. Okay, okay. And Patrick Swayze's brother, Don. Don Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. They they clearly just like, oh, man, I mean, it'll look amazing on a poster, though, right? <laughs> I guess it would. <laughs> uh, I have not seen this. I had to get it just for the cast, basically. But like uh, the ty- the the plot sounds like it's just Hunger Games, but with all beefcakes. <laughs> cool. I, <laughs> sounds I guess. Like, <laughs> it sounds like fun trash. Just the right kind on. of thing I'm into. Uh, next up is Come Drink With Me. This is a very influential wuxia from Shaw, an early Shaw picture, Shaw Brothers. Oh, they've never done wrong by me yet. Indeed. So this is, uh, it's about a sister who goes in disguise as master swordsman uh, Golden Swallow. Or no, no. Uh, Actually, yeah, yeah, Golden Swallow uh, to rescue her brother from a bunch of bandits. He's like the governor's son. Okay. Cool. Uh, I haven't seen it, but like, you know, it's it's a major influential one. Uh, one of the things that kind of kick-started uh, Shaw Brothers. This is prior to Chinese Boxer. Oh, ooh, all right. And last edition is Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday. When we get oh. into the off-model stuff. The brain slug <laughs> is front and center on that poster. It is a brain slug from outer space. Uh, it, I love the opening to this movie because <laughs> it has it, at this point, Jason is too big to ignore. Clearly, there have been continually more uh, uh, mass murders between the end of part eight and this. We we don't get an idea of how much time has passed, but it's the future. <laughs> OK, yeah. And. The CIA or the FBI or someone, uh, they lure Jason into a cabin with the sexy lady and blow him <laughs> <What>? up. They, <laughs> they blow him the fuck up completely. So he has to revert to his original brain controlling alien worm form, I guess. 
Axel, uh, hold on. sexy lady lures is able to lure Jason. To, oh, for killing, of course. Right? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Sexy must be killed. Exactly. They they have a sexy lady in a cabin in the woods, and they just wait for him to show up and blow him away. <laughs> a very fun opening, but yeah, the whole Jason being uh, an alien worm is <laughs> maybe not my favorite choice. Uh, it's very silly. Uh, nice. It's one I've only seen like twice before because I do really consider eight to be kind of the official end of the series as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> All right. Uh, so those are the only additions, but obviously we have lots of other stuff on the list. What do you feel like next week? Uh, well, I did compare Ash a little bit to Bruce or um, not Bruce Clint Eastwood. And I'm seeing we have a Clint Eastwood movie here. Uh, High Plains. Oh, gosh. Add. High Plains Drifter. Yeah, here we go. High Plains Drifter, directed by Clint Eastwood. Yeah, this is one of his 80s ones where he's kind of reflecting back on his uh, iconography. Uh, this one, he's kind of a ghost uh Plainsman, so it, it's sort of playing on that thing from Fistful of Dollars, where there's like where he comes back into town and they think he's maybe a ghost, uh, oh, and yeah. it's one where I think he just actually is a ghost and he's just come to punish a bad town. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Um, I feel like it's been a long time since we've done anything western. I, th- I think it probably has been a little bit. Yeah. How do you feel about this one? That's a good movie. I haven't watched it in quite a while. All right, let's let's do it. Oh, All we, right, we just so we're doing two westerns. That's correct. Ah, whatever, <laughs> we're doing two westerns. That kind of fits. We, you know, we we do uh, sometimes like to have these kind of a bit of a theme. Yeah, we'll we'll be able to see how they're similar and different, compare and contrast. Uh, it'll be interesting actually because we've got because Quick of the Dead is a lot newer than this, isn't it? Uh, not really. I think maybe ten years apart because uh, well, High Plains Drift is eighties. Oh, 73. 73. Oh, I'm thinking of a different movie. <laughs> oh, cool. All right. Well, this is an earlier one. Right. Uh, I think it's still a thing where he's kind of an avenging ghost in town. Okay. I think I'm thinking of, oh, there, there's an 80s one with like uh, Clint Howard or something uh, also. Yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking of a later one. But yeah, still probably you know, good pairing. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, heck, it's uh, it's Western Week next week. Right on. So next week we'll be covering High Plains Drifter and The Quick and the Dead. Uh, should be a good time. Uh, any All last right. thoughts before we close up for the evening? Yeah. Do you feel lucky? Uh, huh? It doesn't Do work you? if there's no. Yeah, you, you kind of need something to bounce one. it off of. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, uh thanks so much for listening and keep watching the stacks